Hello and welcome to episode 1149 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, March 1st. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and today we have a guest episode with Eric Loggenhagen, the lead fantasy writer for Fangraphs. I got a great in-depth interview with him, breaking down every NL team. And in fact, this is actually part one of two because then we have to do every AL team. And you guys are going to be getting about five hours of in-depth coverage. And we're not just talking prospects here. Eric, amazingly generous with his time, willing to talk about literally anybody. At one point, I think we talk about Cesar Hernandez's old ass. We get into all of it, and he's just talking about fantasy-relevant players. So again, that didn't just have to be you know, quote-unquote, true prospects, guys that haven't absor- uh, utilized their rookie status. So let's get started with the NL. Here it is right now. I'll have the AL coming out in a few days, maybe early next week because we got the uh, Friday episode with Justin. So you guys are really going to enjoy these. There's so many great names, all sorts of league formats. I'm going to label the teams so you can jump from team to team. Um, that way this will be a reference, you know, hopefully throughout the uh, the draft season. Anyway, here's Eric and I. I'm joined now by Eric Loggenhagen, the lead prospect writer at Fangraphs and a good friend of mine. Eric, how's it going? Good, buddy. How are you? Doing quite well. I know this is a remarkably busy time of year for you as well. Obviously, anybody in the baseball world, but especially somebody in prospect world, the top 100 release this week. How you doing? I'm good. It has been kind of nutty. Um, we've always timed prospect week to be that first full week after the Super Bowl. And then when the NFL shifted to like an 18 game schedule or an 18 week schedule, uh, it pushed the Super Bowl back a week and then it ran it, it runs it into like the start of the college baseball season and like yep. flush up against the start of spring training. And so, yeah, like the last couple of weeks have been nutty because camps are getting rolling. There's random stuff happening, like some of the Korean teams are training here in Arizona. Uh, Kiwoom is here and stuff. So, um, They've got Jung Hu Lee, they've got Wu Jin on, guys I care about. And uh, so getting out there to do that and seeing college baseball last week, all while Prospect Week stuff was being written, has been pretty goofy. So now I'm sitting on my couch. I got uh, the Mariners and the and the Padres on one TV and Virginia and Columbia on the other one. Love and it. just kind of hanging out the rest of today and then getting to the field for my first spring game tomorrow. We'll do Oakland and Arizona tomorrow. That is fantastic. Yeah, leave it to the NFL to to overstay their welcome. You know, I watch the NFL. I'm not I'm not Mr. Anti Football, but they I didn't have to do an extra week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't. I, I I've moved away from it as much as I used to be uh, because I used to write fantasy football too. So I used to be bar- as buried in it as I am baseball. But I still watch Red Zone every week. I, my Lions are showing some flashes, but it's like, hey. You didn't need an extra week. You could have just hung out and uh, not made baseball lives harder there, especially yours. But the top 100 came out. Looks great. I also put out my dynasty prospect list. And um, I I had some guys on there that didn't make it from the top 100. Uh, And it's because, obviously, we're doing different things, right? I'm looking at fantasy. You're looking at baseball at large. But there are a handful of guys. They happen to all be in the top 70 that I want to talk about a little bit. Maybe you can set me straight if maybe they should have been in my top 130, uh, if it's okay that they're not. And like I said, I'm even going to cop to being wrong on a couple. I already regret not having them. But let's start with Logan Allen in Cleveland. Not the Logan Allen that people know. I think this is yeah. is this Logan, Logan Allen, too. Allen or something. Like I, I think his initial is sometimes put out there. But how, how are you going to have two Logan Allens and, and confuse people like that? It's, it's very annoying. But I didn't put him on. And 
this is one that I kind of regret because I'm fully bought in on Cleveland pitchers. And he'd be low, you know, he'd be on the list if I'd have gone 150, 200 deep for sure. But I didn't quite get him there on the top 130. Did I miss with him being so high in the majors, in the minors right now and possibly on their radar this year? Uh, you know, I think that reasonable minds can have, we're all going to have Logan Allen somewhere in this range. Um, in like what would I would consider a 45, which is like a tier yeah. below this, which probably runs down through about 250, um, at, or up here. Um, you know, it's an athletic le- lefty with a change up and plus command. And those guys just tend to be super duper bankable. Um, and yeah, the, the, Pitching development machine in, in Cleveland does really crank them out. So uh, I think, you know, obviously there's there's depth in front of this guy. He's not poised to make the opening day rotation or anything like that. Uh, and I think you could argue that some of the other guys who have already had an option year burn away uh, like and who are already on the 40-man in Cleveland, the guys like Joey Cantillo and Xavion Curry, um, they're prospects who are probably more likely to play a role in 2023 than someone like Logan Allen is, or someone like Tanner Bibby is Mm -hmm. uh, just because those guys don't have to be put on the 40 man until in Logan Allen's case, after the 2023 season, Cleveland tends to take a pretty conservative line with their guys. Uh, If it were someone who's like going to kick the door down in a major way, like a healthy Daniel Espino. Espino, Yep, exactly. Exactly. Then fine. Like that guy will rock it right up there, but Logan Allen probably isn't a big leaguer until, uh, next season and even then he's going to be competing for a spot mm-hmm. so um yeah in a vacuum like him as like a contending team's fourth starter that's basically like any of the near ready 50s on my list that's basically what the evaluation is guy who's going to make a playoff team's uh, playoff rotation and that's where i've got logan allen but uh for fantasy having to wait that year and some change there are probably some other guys who are a little bit worse than him who are ready right now, who from a fantasy perspective, you just would rather be on. So I thought it was fine to not have him on there. And you certainly highlighted some of the reasons. So I feel, I feel vindicated Curry and Cantillo are two guys I looked at being on the 40 and I got to be honest. And I've mentioned this on the pod a few times, my playing experience on out of the park baseball has actually helped me with like prospect evaluation and trying to guess when guys are going to get put on rosters because of who's on the 40 and it doesn't always work that way right if a guy forces his way on the 40 and they have an easy cut or an easy wave sure they can get on but if you're looking at a crowded 40 i'm going to favor the guys who are already on there and i do like curry and cantillo a bit and so i thought logan t allen might take a little bit longer like i said if i'd gone deeper he's definitely in that top 200 range uh, for sure, because I do trust Cleveland. Let's talk about Jake Eater. This one's straightforward. It's a TJ returner. Just yeah. have him a bit lower because of that. But talk to me a bit about, about Eater. When he comes back, is he somebody that could rock it back into the contention and get back into the picture? Because he was somebody who was starting to make some noise before that injury, but now he's returning from TJ. I imagine he's going to have a pretty light year this year and then maybe be in the 24 picture. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how the the, the innings cap there might impact whether or not he's in the big leagues. I can tell you that people who saw Jake, e- I was a Jake Eater skeptic when he really started to pop. Um, Jake Eater was a guy who I knew about in high school. There's always been mid nineties velocity in there. There was just so much mechanical violence and no strikes. And then things seemed like they were starting to click on paper. And I, I was slow to move on this guy initially, just because there's, 
there is a point where sometimes pitchers trick you for a month or two at a time mm-hmm. and they're not actually they haven't actually made a real improvement um like asa lacy you know asa lacy was awesome for a month before the 2020 shutdown and made himself six million dollars or whatever and then he's basically been the guy who can't throw strikes really again since then and so there's chance that that's what happens here with eaters that he comes back and uh you know is just the guy who he was before it seemed like things were clicking but people who i trust who saw this guy before he blew out in 2021 thought he was maybe a top 30 top 40 prospect that's the the quality of the slider that they saw combined with like the fastball velocity and the angle of the fastball they thought that this guy had two plus plus pitches they didn't really care at that point whether or not he was a starter or a reliever like this is a fast moving arm with huge huge impact and so the ceiling and the risk here is priced into where I have him ranked. And just the fact that it's a Tommy John and not a shoulder thing, uh, like with the, an Espino or like what happened to Brendan McKay and guys like AJ Puck and Brent Honeywell, whose careers have really been derailed by injuries. Big time. Elbow treatment, at least we have as an industry, a better track record with. So I felt a little bit more confident to juice Eater into the middle of the group overall than have him toward the back with the Espinos of the world who are a little bit scarier now. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And again, a deeper list uh, definitely gets Eater on there. I think you're drafting him in a, in a dynasty league right now that starts from the beginning and runs deep because that upside is still there. Uh, and we and we don't exactly know where he's going to be, but yeah, that what he showed in 21 was exciting. Bryce Terang, you nailed it. I thought with the with the loose comp. I know you don't do like a ton of like comps that are ironclad, but you mentioned JP Crawford, and that's exactly why he didn't quite make my top 130. I think he's a big leaguer. Uh, it's just not super fantasy viable when you look at what JP Crawford's done. You're talking a, a deep league and NL only in that case. Bryce Terang from Milwaukee. Uh, but he could be in a 2023 impact. So maybe he is on that next 20 or 25 if I had gone deeper than 130. Do you see him making the club out of camp or being just an early uh, call-up for the Brewers? I think that he he has a good chance to make the club. He's someone who I don't think fantasy people should really worry about. Like If you're playing fantasy baseball, Bryce Terang, most, for me, most of his value is in his shortstop defense, mm-hmm. especially as shifting goes away. There were a couple guys in the minors who I thought were plus or better, plus or better shortstop gloves, who I thought, you know, even if they have a one note offensive impact, and in Terang's case, it's it's OBP driven. So, you know, maybe if you're in an OBP league, this is a guy who's in your mix at some point. Uh, he I could see him playing like a platoon role with Louis Urias there, just because you know, they've tried to move Terang around. He's played some outfield. Willie Adamas is there at shortstop, so uh, he doesn't have a path to playing there right away. But for the same reason I've had like guys like Taylor Walls yep. and Joey Ortiz with Baltimore, uh, you know, in the top 100, Michael Garcia with the Royals, Leo Jimenez with the Blue Jays. These are guys who have be- like been considered for the Hondo and the, you know, the recent past because they can play shortstop and that might suddenly be more valuable now uh, in a real baseball sense. But 
for fantasy purposes, I don't. I think you can dismiss those guys. I'd much rather have a guy who, you know, the Paul DeYoungs of the world who just kind of stand there and are, are barely <laughs> passable, but are doing something with the stick are probably who you want to target. Absolutely. Let those guys get to the majors and try to improve their defense while they're doing stuff for you with the bat, as opposed to somebody like Terang, who, yeah, he's going to be in the majors, but is he giving you much? Like you said, OBP only is probably where you're uh, probably where you're looking at him. And then Gordon Graceffo. I'm just going to cop to this one being a bit of a miss. He's for the Cardinals. I feel like I could have definitely gotten him in the top 130. A 2023 ETA, what do you see from him this year? Obviously, the Cardinals are a bit crowded, but they are old as well. So uh, you see Graceffo making an impact this year and, and pitching for, I don't know, half the year or more? Yeah, I think um, maybe that's a little bit much. I would guess that he's up in September. He's okay. a name to, for people to monitor and and maybe watch for a September call-up, especially because if he comes up in September – and he stays on the big league roster the, the rest of the season, uh, then he's he's not using an option year. If they never they just purchase his contract and never option him, uh, if they were going to put him on the forty man after the season anyway, then you know you have that. So uh, he's the type of guy where if the Cardinals are in the playoff mix and they think this is one of their best twelve arms, which I think by the end of the year there's a chance that he might be, then I could see them adding him late getting his feet wet in the big leagues and then just leaving him on the roster so that he's got all his option years for the next couple of years. I uh, can go up and down as they need him to. Um, but if you, the sooner you add him, the more at risk you are of, of having to burn one of those option years. So probably for 2023, not someone folks have to worry about. Okay. The Cardinals guys who are like prospects who are in that mix. Obviously there's Matthew Liberatore. Uh mm-hmm. The velocity has never really popped for him and his curveball and his fastball don't play great together because he's like a sinker guy with a huge rainbow curveball and those two types of pitches don't tend to mesh well together no. i will say connor thomas a lefty who pitched really well in the fall league yep saw him there and was was definitely impressed by connor thomas he's you know your lefty sneaky pitchability guy who's got the kitchen sink cutter change up you know mixing fastball and breaking ball shapes pitching backwards the whole crafty thing so maybe someone if he gets a look that uh you know he's gonna have like a two-start week as a spot starter because jack flaherty or steven Matz is hurt again Mm -hmm. then that's someone who i think people should be interested in like streaming uh probably an under the radar prospect name for 2023 he's on the 40 so i would guess that at some point he's he's getting some reps Okay, that totally makes sense. Connor Thomas, lefty for the cards. Keep an eye on him. Graceffo later in the season might not be up uh, in time to make a fantasy impact. So from here, I want to run through the teams and just kind of give you free reign to maybe talk about a guy or two that you think has some fantasy potential we should be keeping an eye on. doesn't have to be a sleeper or a deep guy, even if it's somebody that's in the 100 that you say, hey, the fantasy impact here is higher than people are thinking or even lower. If you want us to be leery of somebody, I'm, I'm certainly open for that too. So I'll just guide you through the divisions and you you uh, you get to cool. go free here. Let's start with the Atlanta Braves or go in the uh, NL East to start. What do the uh, what do the Braves have here? Obviously, they've been a team that has delivered plenty of fantasy fruit recently. Obviously, yeah. last year with uh, Strider and Harris, Vaughn Grissom. And by the way, it doesn't even have to be prospect eligible. If you want to talk about somebody sure. like Vaughn Grissom, that's fine too. But what do you see from the Braves that fantasy folks need to be keeping an eye on? Definitely watch the rate at which the Braves are promoting guys. The Braves do not F around. They shoot guys right through the minors uh, if they think they're ready. And we've seen that with Harris and Strider and Grissom and some of these guys 
They have no compunction about, you know, accelerating promotion schedules. Some of the other teams take a much more conservative line. And so if you see any of these guys who have started the year in high A getting early push to double A, it is probably someone to monitor for the back half of the season. In the Braves case, it's tough to identify anyone who's already in that sort of position. What I will say is that uh, a guy who they added to the 40-man pitcher named Rodery Munoz, he's 23. Uh, the Braves do tend to, to, you know, even some of their pitchers who are probably just better suited for relief, if they've been starting them in the minors and they have all their option years left, they tend not to proactively move them to the bullpen. They would rather leave them, even if they're inefficient as an optionable starter, they tend to leave them at double or triple A as an optionable starter. And that's Kyle Muller and that's Tuki Toussaint. And yep. You know, it took Kyle Wright a while to really get his footing in the big leagues. And, you know, they didn't move any of those guys to the pen proactively. Munoz is maybe far enough away from being a viable starter that they would do something like that. And if they do, his stuff is huge. Like, got some killer swing and miss. Yes. Like, monster slider guy. So it's feasible to me uh, that, you know, he could have some sort of big league impact this year even if it's just in a relief capacity. Um, obviously, the back of their bullpen is pretty loaded, so maybe he's not in line for saves, but he's got to watch. And then Sam Hilliard, who they got from the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Sam Hilliard has huge tools. He's 29. He's never really done a whole lot for the Rockies, but there is some evidence. I've had people in baseball tell me that like the Braves are very good at altering swing mechanics, that they can find like low-hanging developmental fruit with some of these guys, even older ones and make relevant tweaks. Someone told me that they did it with Robbie Grossman's right-handed swing after they got him at the deadline. Like within a week, Robbie Grossman's swing was meaningfully different in a way that they thought was better. And so with, oh, wow. uh, I think there's opportunity. Like if Eddie Rosario doesn't bounce back, someone in that outfield mix, you know, Marcelo Zuna's hurt a lot. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, Sam Hilliard's a lefty hitting power speed combo guy who I think has a chance to break out there. If they could cut that swing and miss, I mean, he even showed the tools in Colorado, and we definitely don't trust a team like Colorado to do anything better than Atlanta does. So I like that call out of Sam Hilliard. Definitely keeping tabs on him. I got a little special before we move on to the Mets here. I mentioned I play a lot of OOTP. This dude breaks out in like three out of every four franchises I do. Is there anything that you see to Jesse Franklin the fifth, or does the computer game just continue to love this dude? There's been four before him that couldn't break out. I'm just joking. Obviously, they didn't all make the pros, but um, he is Jesse Franklin the fifth. Is he any good? Because he becomes like a power monster in so many of my Sims that I've been dying to ask you about him. Jesse Franklin is interesting. He's been a dude of note since high school. This was like a Pacific Northwest high school where he went to Michigan. There was all kinds of stuff happening in the background that like he was in like a horrible skiing accident, all kinds of stuff that has limited this guy to basically like a hundred career games in the minors. it's, It's been scanned. He did have that 24 bomb year in 2021. And then I forget what it was last year that, that shelved him again. Um, so yeah, like it is, there is an opportunity that this guy is, you know, like a slow burning bounce back sleeper. And in my world, this is a big year for him because this is his like 40 man rule five eval season. So 
um, finished, you know, he started 2022 at double A. He only played the 15 games there. Uh, let me check my notes again on what that injury was because I know he's had a bunch of stuff. Um, well, while you're looking that up, I'll point out that in one of my Sims, he became a three time home run leader, consistently hitting 40 to 50 homers. And I'm just like, okay, that's a one off, right? That can happen anytime in out of the park baseball. So my he next- had TJ. Oh, okay. So yeah, TJ. So yeah, the next few Sims, he pops off too. Now TJ isn't as worrisome for hitters as it is pitchers. Uh, not necessarily a, a death knell here, but obviously he continues to fight an uphill battle with his health. Is he expected to be ready to go this year since he missed so much of last year? He shouldn't miss too much of this year, if at all, right? Probably not. I, I would guess um, that just based on the timeline for hitters coming back from TJ, that he'll he'll probably play most of the year. He's definitely okay. someone to to monitor how he's doing at at Mississippi. All right, that's Jesse Franklin the fifth. The fifth. Um, there yeah. are no the, the others are not in the in <laughs> baseball, but he is the fifth. So get that V on there. Let's go over to the Mets and talk a bit about them. Obviously, they're a team that is in contention right now. I will start you off by asking a little bit about Francisco Alvarez. There's some fantasy folks that are big into him, and I get it because the dude can hit. Are they going to trust him to be their catcher, though? I know it's a contending team with some premium starters. Can he handle Verlander Scherzer, you know, a, a veteran staff like that? Or is his bat good enough that they say, you know what, we don't even worry about him catching. We'll let Omar Narvaez handle most of it, Thomas Nito, and get him at DH. Or the worst option, of course, would be spending most of the year at AAA. What do you see from Francisco Alvarez this year? I do think that I think that they've said publicly he is likely to start at AAA. Mm-hmm. I think it might actually be better for his offense. If when he does come up, it's, it's just catching is just such a brutal occupation. At some point, Narvaez or Nito is going to get dinged, yes, and go on the IL. So, you know, at that point, just because Alvarez is the only other catcher on the forty man, they've got Michael Perez in camp as an NRI, uh, and he's perfectly fine. But like at some point, Alvarez is going to be up. When he comes up, they're going to want to continue to give him. At some amount of regular at bats, even if he's not the guy behind the plate every day. And so, if he's like catching twice a week and DHing another two to three times a week, I think that that might even like help his bat play. Yeah, that's he better. Have to worry so much about yeah non-catching better. catcher. Is, you know, that's why Dalton Varsho is like a third-round pick this yes. year because he's still catcher eligible. And I think in Toronto, he might not even catch at all with Kirk and Jansen there, if Jansen can stay healthy. So yeah, that would be fantastic yes. with Alvarez. Then uh, be careful drafting him then, because he's going to start the season probably in triple a, but I do like him. Anybody else you're keeping tabs on for the Mets that have some fantasy viability to keep an eye out for. I really think um, Brett Beatty. I've, I've vacillated on, on Beatty a couple times. He's always been in the middle of the hundred, but like what his exact grade has been, has fluctuated quite a bit. Um, there's there's always been more raw than game power just because of the way his swing works. There's evidence last year, and some of it is on paper, and some of it is visual. That there's been a there's been subtle tweak here that maybe hit, will enable him to get to more of, of that power. The ground ball rate was down. Uh, you, like the way his hands are setting up is a little bit different. His his leg kick is a little bit different. Uh, he might be on plane with pitches a little bit better now than he was before. And so there might be a, a big, big power breakout um, there. The rest of that group, you know, probably no one people need to, to super worry about for um, for this year. Um, Alexander Ramirez is a, a potential dynasty guy, but he's pretty risky. It's like a three, it's like three play discipline. 
So a lot of risk there, but the upside is, is pretty big if that's your thing. Okay. Yeah, that's tough. I, I like Beatty. I saw him uh, a couple of times here in high school and because I, it's, it's not, you know, prospects aren't my thing. Like they're yours. I sometimes get angered to guys when I see them very young. It happens with fall league guys and I have to check myself, but I was happy that you and I were actually pretty much in lockstep with where we ranked Beatty. I know we're doing two different things with our lists, but we actually had them both at 23. So I'm pulling for him. He's a local guy. I think he can crush this year. Um, and Eduardo Escobar's contract isn't something that has to be played every day at nine and a half mil. That can be a part-timer yeah. platoon guy bouncing around spots too. So if Beatty forces his way in and is fully healthy, then I think he can certainly play. Let's move on to the runners-up, the Philadelphia Phillies. They're not necessarily known for prospects. I'm a Tigers fan, so I'm well aware of Dombrowski's MO. He utilizes his prospects to strengthen the Major League team, but I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about the one that everyone's buzzing about, Mr. Andrew Painter, a potential teenage major leaguer this year. He has to get in with him. He has to basically break camp to be a teenager uh, in the majors because he turns 20 on April 10th, I believe. Is it going to happen, or is he just somebody who maybe gets a call later this year? What do you think of Andrew Painter? I think he's he's going to be too dominant for them not to roster Ooh. pretty soon. <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Everything I read about him, I mean, I read so much in the run-up to my, both my article and, and my list about him, and everything I read just made me more excited about Painter. So I saw him in April. I saw Painter a handful of times in high school, too. He was on that showcase circuit the summer before. Uh, you know, Team USA and area codes and all that type of stuff. Perfect game, All-American. And similar to what some of the guys who break out pretty quickly after their draft year, uh, this guy's body changed and became more mature. Like, it, you know, he was a softer-bodied 6'7 kid uh, as a rising junior. And now, you know, he just has much better control of his body and seems more in touch with his body and his feel for release now than he did in high school. And the guy he was in high school was, you know, mid nineties velocity with that power breaking ball. And now he commands the crap out of both of them. And so I saw him in April. He was totally dominant. His whole start against Tampa is on YouTube. I, you know, he struck out 14 guys in five innings. Um, just That's fastball so slider. Crazy. It was insane, dude. It was, it was, it was the most dominant single outing of, of baseball I've ever seen someone have. And by the end of the year in Reading, he's varying his breaking ball shape. There's a change up there now. This guy only needed velocity and a slider to carve through a low A lineup. And then by the end of the year, there was even more than that. Um, that whole group, him, Abel, and McGarry. Yes, I was going to ask about both of them, so I'm glad you brought them up. They're all big best friends and all that. They got a whole yeah. thing going on. Do the other two, you know, obviously just because Painter's great doesn't mean they are, but what do you think of McGarry and Abel? Abel, Abel's been the best pitching prospect his age since he was a high school sophomore. Um, he really delivery wise, it's, you know, he's like Garrett Cole. That's what his d delivery looks like. There's not as much straight up carry to his fastball, but it is about as hard. He's still got room on his frame, you know, six, five, two ten guy, a really fast arm. Uh, Abel's command is not as razor sharp as painters seems to be. So probably going to happen on a little bit of a delay there with Abel. He's more of a wait and see how he does at, um, at Lehigh Valley. And mm -hmm. then McGarry to me, 
McGarry's one people probably want to stay away from. This is a dude who has recently as the 2020 draft. Like it was a shorter draft, obviously. Yeah. But even though McGarry, he was eligible in 2020 and he had three plus pitches, he walked a guy per inning. Like he walked a batter per inning in college at UVA and was passed over entirely in that 2020 draft. And so, you know, I have him in my hundred. Even if a guy like that ends up in the bullpen, I want to value a guy whose stuff is that good. Um, about that high towards the back of the hundred. Um, you know, if a guy's going to be James Karen check or whatever, I, you know, I just think that that's value there for still sure. where that guy belongs. So, um, but for more of his life as a baseball player, Griff McGarry has been unplayably wild. <laughs> and so there's a chance that he regresses to that. And you can see just in his walk totals from the upper minors last year, that that is, uh, kind of sort of in play. Yeah. Um, 24% in his brief time at triple a, yeah. but still 15% in 33 innings at double a doesn't have a stop under 12% right now for, for Griff McGarry. And he has five minor league stops. So the stuff is there. The strikeout rates range as high as 42, 48%. Um, but with those walks, it's tough. The James Karen chat comp is interesting, or at least mentioned is interesting because that might be the kind of guy that he is just a bullpen monster, which I want to throw. That could be a major leaguer. Who else you got? I want to throw, if you're in a deep dynasty league, there's a little left-handed hitting second baseman in the Phillies org from uh, New Zealand named Nikau Puaka Grego. What a name. So I saw this guy in April and, you know, it's not like, most of the backfield guys who you fall in love with are 6'2", 180. You know, they're playing shortstop and they have all this physical projection. Mm-hmm. This is your stocky little second baseman with ridiculous feel to hit. So um, just big time, big time ceiling on this guy's hit tool, in my opinion, like uh, 70 or 80 grade potential. Um just That's does fantastic. not swing and miss like a, like a Stephen Kwan type of guy. Maybe, maybe was hurt for a bunch last year. This was purely like on the look of a few games. And then the data that he's produced um, at that level combined was enough that I'm in. He played in, uh, he played winter ball in Australia uh, and looked okay. There definitely someone whose body is kind of going to thicken up pretty quick just because he's such a compact little dude. And so that might have an impact, but if you're in a deep sleeper league, Nikau Puaka Grego is an interesting sleeper. Can't overlook that name. N I K A U. Once you put that in, I doubt there's many Better other. Be okay. Re- yeah. You know, uh, uh, yeah. Any other uh, uh, return results for that one? Let's move over to Miami. First off, can I, we start with really quickly with the Pablo Lopez trade. Were you surprised when they did the Luis Arise Pablo Lopez trade that they had to throw in Jose Salas? Am I yes. overrating Salas? Okay, yeah, because I, I thought Arise for Lopez should have been a one for one. Is Salas not a pretty damn good prospect to have to throw in there? Yeah, he's pretty good. That that whole family's good. All the Salases. Yes, the Salas or Salai, if you will. Yeah, Salai, uh, excelente. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was surprised, and even people who are lukewarm on Jose Salas. Like, I think Jose Salas is kind of going to be like a Josh Rojas type of sure. player. Yeah. Um, you know, he's big teenage left-handed hitting shortstop, pretty short to the ball. think it's going to be an above average plus bat, probably not a ton of power, even though he's, you know, physical teenager already. Uh, it's, it's more about bat to ball skills and then um, mixed bag at short 
which is kind of what Rojas was at the time. And then he sort of aged even, even further away from that. So, but just to, to get a guy like that and Byron Churio, who's an yes. interesting DSL, you know, prospects with Lopez, yeah. with the, what I think is the better player. I know Lopez has the shoulder, but if both are healthy, Lopez and Arise, I want Lopez no straight up. And you're giving me two prospects. Sign that up immediately. It is a thing I think, and I want Kim Ang to do well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. she deserved the opportunity. She's a trailblazer. Miami after being an AGM like all over the place. She, basically, she's the she's the Eric B enemy of baseball. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so she deserves this opportunity. She does have a habit, in my opinion, of like sweetening too much. Uh, you know, when you get Dylan, like it's fine. You, you want a guy like Dylan Floro. He's getting squeezed off of LA's roster and he's a clear upgrade for your bullpen, which, which needs help find the target, a guy like that, but you don't want to give up two guys in a trade for someone like that. Theoretically, you should be able to produce guys like Dylan Floro internally. Yes, and when, exactly. and so when one of the guys you give up in that trade is like Alex Vesia, who ended up being, it's arguably better, better. yeah right. from the left side no no less so, so yeah and that, there have been a bunch of things like that where they tend to throw in an extra guy or two and they don't all pan out they've a bunch of their dominican outfielders guys like kevin guerrero and you know they uh that tanner scott trade with baltimore they gave up you know a bunch of different and they don't all pan out but it, as far as the process is concerned as it's not, you know, it makes it tough to have a sustainable deep farm system. It's not the type of behavior exactly. that you see. Just some tighten other up the teams. purse strings there. And I'm not making yeah. a reference to purse because she's woman. Just to tighten up, <laughs> tighten up what you're giving. Anyone, yeah. Because, you know, um, like you said, that will deplete the back end of the system. And that's where you can find so many of your gems. And teams are always scouting that, right? Because it's harder to get the top end prospects these days. You got to win your trades getting those 18, 19, 20 year olds that aren't. Uh, as as well known because they're two three years away from being becoming anything and that's where she's losing a bit more and uh, I, I just that, that was the worst part of that trade I don't think even Arise is a bad player I just thought it should have been oh. more of a one for one should anybody I, else in Miami uh, peaking your interest obviously you've got Yuri Perez um, yes who's freakish and I've you know said this before and you're right like obviously comps can be dubious you're setting expectations for guys and sometimes it's just like body or swing or something very specific that you're comparing to um yuri perez is right-handed cc sabathia just in terms of how the size and the command at this age for a guy this size um yeah like if i'm, if so I'm exciting searching through the dark for some a Anything close to this that I've seen before, it's – and obviously I didn't see young CeCe. I was 13 when CeCe <laughs> debuted, right? Yeah, but, you weren't scouting him at, 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 as a 12-year-old. But CeCe was up at about this age, and mm -hmm. just in terms of, yes, yeah, size and, and the level of command at this velocity, at this age and size, the only other guy who I can think of is, is CeCe. And so I think he's a freak. He might be on – an innings count, right? He only threw like 75 innings last year. So yeah. that might impact whether or not he comes up. But, um, but then, you know, you know they're loaded. as an organization, I know it's a different regime now, but I feel like the Marlins in past years have certainly not been shy about promoting guys too and understanding that For the sure. bullets are best spent at the major league level if they're ready. And so I do think Perez could be somebody who is up this year, even though he's only going to turn 20 in like a month as well. Nick Fortes in Miami as well. I, I think that. 
that will be their primary catcher. I think that he's getting you know, some fantasy juice in the in the deeper format. So I like that you brought him up. The underlying data for him was very strong. I know that his surface level performance was also very good in a relatively small sample. Um, but he's someone who, yeah, I juiced uh, up the the prospect ranking before he graduated just because of how strong things looked under the surface. Could he push? Could he push Garrett Cooper or or if Soler is bad again for DH mm, first base I don't think appearances? So. Or is he just going to catch and push Stallings out of there? I think it would be Stallings. I think that okay. he would cut cut heavy into Stallings playing time and maybe enough that he becomes the primary guy. Oh, that'd be I mean that'd be great. Yeah, because right now he's a backup catcher. He's a good two catcher option. But if Nick Vortez finds extra playing time, then I think everyone needs to be familiar with him. Let's go to a team that is uh only prospects at this point. That's all they're looking forward to. That's Washington. Uh James Wood, obviously, very high on both of our lists. He's down the line though. Anybody that they got coming up relatively soon? Do you see anything out of like a Stone Garrett that they picked up this offseason or any prospects that are on the cusp for the Nats that you like? Yeah, I am. You know, Stone Garrett's numbers here in Arizona at the end of last year were really, really good. I'm pretty skeptical about him. Um, Me too. I do think that Kyber Ruiz will take a leap at some point. Uh, I know there's a GM who thought he was like a top five overall prospect uh, when when Kyber oh, was wow. in the minors. So that's one uh, that I still think there's like a chance things really, really pop. Yeah, there is like a lot of I like Jake Alou who they added to the 40 man, but it just has like a piece, you know, like as as a guy who's fitting in, on your infield with another, you know, part of some sort of platoon. Yeah. Uh that's Jake Alou for me. I'm not a Jeter Downs guy. Um, he just he cannot make a consistent enough contact to tap into his, yeah. his raw skills otherwise. Yeah, there's just some of these guys who you don't their problem cannot be exploited until they're at a high enough level that they're facing the thing that exploits them. So like in Jeter Downs's case and Keston Hura's case, Carter Keyboom in this system too. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, Nick Gonzalez with the pirates, I think is going to be this guy as well. There's just no, they can't get on top of fastballs. Uh, you know, those high riding fastballs, they really struggle to get on top of those. And once you're in triple a and the big leagues, there are just way more of those around such that, you know, we don't realize there's a hole up there in your swing until you face enough guys that will show you. So maybe, um, maybe they're a generation too late because back when the, you know, about a generation ago, when the, the sinkers were the thing, maybe those no. guys could have succeeded with the fastballs oh, yes. lower in the zone. But now that the high heat is the winner with all the secondary stuff low, uh, yeah, they're being exploited big time, all those guys. I still think Luis Garcia there, I know that, you know, it's been mixed, but. I still like him long term. I do too. I, I can't quit him, and he's still a baby. I mean, he's a baseball baby. Like he's only twenty two. You're going to be twenty three. This will be his age twenty three season. But I feel like he's learning on the job, and so I haven't quit him yet either. Yeah, most of these other guys, like for sure, Cade Cavalli is has huge stuff, and he'll be up. Um, I do Just think Jake, the, it's all on the shoulder with Cavalli, right? right? Yep. Um, and then Jake Irvin in the minors for them as well. He's got his three option years left. So dudes like Corey Abbott and, and you know, Joe on Adon, they're more likely to play a role immediately. 
than someone like Jackson Rutledge, who I think is more of a reliever long-term, and Jake Irvin, who I actually do like as a back-end starter. Okay, great. That's the Washington Nationals. Let's move over to the NL Central and talk Cardinals. We already talked Gordon Graceffo a bit. And they're a team that's always, you know, they're usually doing later prospects. I think kind of their MO, the Cardinals Devil Magic and all that, the 25-year-old that pops out of nowhere and goes crazy. But what are they looking at this year? We have to start with Walker. I think people would kill me if I didn't ask you about Walker. Um, there's obviously a lot of chatter that he could break with the camp or break camp with the club, in which case his fantasy stock is going to go through the roof. He'll be this year's J uh, rod. And what I mean by that isn't that he would produce like J rod, but that he would go to a top 100 pick by the time the end of draft season came along. What do you think are his chances of breaking camp in that crowded outfield? And what do you see out of Jordan Walker? If he does indeed break camp, we got to see him at the fall league. And I saw you talking about comps that are like, look, sometimes not, not necessarily just talent, he looked like Derek Lee in the box to me. Yep. That, that was who I kept going back to. What do you think of Jordan Walker? Yeah, it's monster power. I think he's going to get to enough to it to be a middle of the order anchor. Uh, obviously, look, Jordan Walker was a high school shortstop. He's gigantic now and <laughs> transitioned pretty quickly to third base. And now with Nolan Arenado there and with uh, – Paul Goldschmidt at first base, they've got to find somewhere else for this guy to play. And it is a crowded field. Not only do you have, you know, Dylan Carlson, you have Tyler O'Neill, uh, you and have another big uh, fantasy favorite in Lars Newtbar. Yeah, and I love Newtbar a lot. I think Newtbar is for real. Um, you have Alec Burleson, who I'm not as yep. big on, but his numbers last year were ridiculous. That's he one of those hit. guys where, yeah, you just look at, you know, the long term athletic projection and you want to, in my opinion, round down. Uh, that's fair. sooner just because that's of fair. the athlete and the build that we're talking about there. Um, but so it might be tough for him to break through just because it is such a crowded field and they have no real reason to roster this guy. Even Moises Gomez had a monster year in the minors, a uh, 24 year old right-handed hitting guy who was kind of blocked in Tampa Bay and found his way to, um, to St. Louis eventually, you know, hey, giant finally, finally the other way around, right? That St. Louis, uh, St. Louis is getting somebody from Tampa Bay instead of Tampa Bay constantly getting the St. Louis guys like fam. Yeah. There's arena who have popped. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I would, I think that the hype around Jordan Walker is probably more than, you know, it is realistic that he breaks camp, but at some point, um, at some point, you know, he might he might be up just because what else are you going to do? And then Jose Fermin, who they got from Cleveland before the 40-man deadline, that's one of the guys who's had like one of the lowest swinging strike rates in the minors for each of the last handful of years. It's a very, very low impact contact. Uh, he can kind of play second and third base. is not great, but just the raw bat-to-ball guy who historically – is underrated in the scouting community because he's not super toolsy. It's just like bat to ball skill. Um, there was probably a while, you know, we're hyper aware of that uh, deficiency and, and maybe tend to overcorrect for it. Mm -hmm. uh, there are definitely people who are like in love with Jose Fermin. And I think he's just fine just because the scouting aspects of it are pretty medium, like the defense at third base. It's just like hard to find a real roster fit for a guy who can't play a couple different positions if he's not playing somewhere all the time. Yeah. Um, and this guy probably doesn't have the power to play somewhere all the time, but he's sleepery in a way because he does maybe have an elite skill.
but then the Cardinals devil magic clicks in and then yes. that's, that's where he hits that next level. That's why it's always mean. guys like this. It, that's what I'm saying. He, he is the, the Cardinals devil magic guy, Jose Fermin, keep an eye on him. You don't know him now unless you're a prospect hound, but uh, you, you might need to, because they'll make, they'll make him a grade better across the board out of nowhere. Let's move over to Milwaukee and talk about that crowded outfield of prospects right now. You got Garrett Mitchell and Sal Frelick, Joey Weimer, um, all three of them kind of in contention, I think, for a spot, although probably Weimer on the outside looking in right now, because if I recall correctly, he's not on the 40. Actually, neither is Freilich. They're both NRIs, and Mitchell is. So I know Jason uh, at Ross Resource has Mitchell breaking camp and the other two in the minors. How do you see that playing out? Because obviously they have Yelich eating a spot 100%. Um, yeah. Tyrone Taylor's there as well. They got they have infield outfield guys like Anderson and Brasso. And then of course they have Jesse Winker, but it looks like he might just be the perma DH. What do you think of Mitchell, Freilich, and Weimer for this year? I am mixed on this whole group. I am not a big Garrett Mitchell guy. I think an important thing, an article that um fantasy prospect people want to read every year is Matt Eddy's minor league park factor research that he does at the end of every season. And mm -hmm. some of the Milwaukee's mid minors parks are part of why like guys like Garrett Mitchell blow up publicly and, and the hype becomes what it is. Um, you know, Garrett Mitchell's swing doesn't really work for me. He does have huge raw power and the speed component and the defense component are there enough that I think he's, he's a piece he is what I, a modern fourth outfielder where he's playing a ton. He's got a lot of situational utility as a lefty bat with that kind of power. But I think from a hit tool standpoint, because of his swing, he's like a Brett Phillips type of player. Yep. Um, that's, so that's a great name to invoke there. By the way, I have that big. I have that Matt Eddie piece uh, linked. I reference it regularly when I'm looking up guys, and it's I don't big. know exactly what their uh, what, what their double A level plays like or their triple A level plays like. It's very useful to put the numbers back into context. And you know, Garrett Mitchell, it's just it's been so much with the swing and miss. And I'm not just talking the 68 plate appearances in the minor or in in the majors, but even in the minors until last year's triple a stop he was a double digit swing and miss guy with his swing and strike rate he got it down to 9.7 call it 10 percent, but then right back up to 12 in the majors and and a 41 percent k rate and 68 plate appearances that's why the and the speed and a little bit of pop that's why the brett phillips name does does kind of check out there yes um freilich freilich uh Freelick, I don't think he can really play center field. That's my hang-up with him, Stilly. We're still projecting on it. This was a multi-sport amateur guy. He missed time in college. We had the pandemic year. He's played some second base in, in the past. Uh, so he's only really been in center field for a little while. He's still not viable there, in, in my opinion, but he has the long speed to play there. Uh, if his routes and reads can be polished with experience. So there were parts of the list making process where he was even a little bit lower just because if he's going to end up in a corner, there's not enough power there for me to, to want to stuff him. But yeah. you know, if you just have three outfield spots in fantasy, that that becomes less relevant. Uh, and so like, I know I, he's on the hundred. I like him a lot. It's not like Quan uh, where like Steven Quan was, was a 2% swinging strike rate guy in the minors. And Sal Freilich's been closer to like a 6% guy, which is still awesome. Yeah. But he's still swinging and missing three times as much as That's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like it, it's that big of a split there, even though it's still an excellent rate for Freilich. 
it's only four percent, but it is. I mean, it's four percentage points, but really, it's like three times as much swinging and missing. Mm-hmm. So, and also uh, doesn't have yeah. much power, right? It's right. not like he trades that for power that Quan doesn't have. He's got a similar power profile, which is to say, not much at all. Weimer's one where if you're in a dynasty league, then maybe you take a chance. Like Weimer's of that group, he's the freak. He's the guy with like crazy power. His he's swinging out of his ass. Like <laughs> it really is someone who has a chance to hit 35 plus bombs, but he's going to strike out a ton, like so, so much. Maybe at the end of the day, what the triple slash line looks like for Weimer is Adam Duvall, where there's oh, a ton of home yeah. runs, but. You know, with some extra speed, perhaps. Yes, because he can it can run a bit, and so maybe you get the speed to take on a two twenty average and a dog shit OBP if you're playing an OBP league. Because yes, he's walked in the minors, but I don't know if that's going to translate in the majors when he's striking out that much. Or do I have that wrong? Do you think maybe he could bring those double digit rates? But I, because the Duval comp tracks in that I I'm worried that he wouldn't necessarily walk in the majors either. No, I think you're right. Like maybe it will be there. Um, let me see. Let me take a look at what his minor league chase rate was. Some of these guys have super artificially high walk rates in the minors because they're like passive. Exactly. And you can get, get tricked by guys like Nolan Jones and whatever. So, you know, for Weimer, I've got a 33% chase rate, um, which is below average. It's close to the big league average, but the fact that he's already chasing at that clip in the minors is a little bit of a concern. Yeah, then because then you would you would push that up a little bit for a major yeah. league expected rate to like 36, 37. And so yeah, their but their tools are loud. Let's talk about guys I've anchored to since seeing him at Fall League back in 21. Me I've too, kept dude. tabs on him and he he's got the talent though. So I'm still sticking with him despite the flaws because he can bring that fantasy juice with the power and the speed. That's Joey Weimer. Weimer or Weimer? I'm pretty sure it's Weimer. 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 Okay, you're right. You're right. I just wasn't sure 100% there. So uh, there you go. Anybody else with the Brewers? He's not a prospect, but Jonathan Singleton is another one where – He's still around. Still around. It's a crowded field now because, you know, they have Rowdy Telez kind of play in this role. They got Voight. Uh, And now they have Luke Voight too. So it's tough for, you know, Singleton to maybe break through. He was on a big league deal at one point and then they – you know, off him from the roster and nobody bit uh, like on waivers or anything like that. So maybe that's kind of telling. Uh, I do think Abner Uribe, who has been in the fall league the last two years. Yes. This is a guy who has a chance to, to be a closer at some point. Yep. Um, Another he, OTP monster who becomes yes. just a stuffed God in, in my Sims. So that's how I know him. Insane fastball, insane slider, closer upside. Yes. All right, that's a good call out there, Abner Uribe. All right, let's move on to the Cubs. I like a lot of uh, the things that they've done this year in the offseason, except block standout AFL guy Matt Mervis. What the hell is going on there? Eno has suggested <laughs> that it's maybe just they don't want to put the, everything on his shoulders to be the unmitigated guy at first. Uh, but, I mean, Hosmer and Mancini, okay, that's one first base, one DH Mervis could still get in there, but then they go get Edwin Rios too. And I know Rios has had his own major league issues, despite the fact that I like him. Uh, he just swings and misses so much, but it seems like every damn move they made this year got that included a guy that could possibly play first base and just keep Mervis down further. Are we overrating him in the fantasy world or is, you know, right that they're just having some veteran depth and he can still break through this year. What do you think of Matt Mervis? I think this is where there's a gap. There's a gap between, 
how I'm going to evaluate a guy like Matt Mervis and how much I think the fantasy community should care about somebody like the Merv. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Juan Yepes last year, yeah. you know, the guys right, who, right down to the fall league quality. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know, no doubt Yepes popped off in the fall league as well. Um, you know, Mervis is a guy who, because his minor league performance was so big as, and you know, I saw him in the fall league um, as I was doing the top 100, his name was on early drafts just to put his name in front of people and see what they thought. My takeaway from fall league in person was skepticism just because of the way his swing works. This is someone whose swing kind of works like uh like a JJ Bladé's swing where it has that, you know, loop through the zone, mostly covering the bottom two thirds of the is, zone. Is you this know. Yepes or Mervis back now? Mervis, Mervis. Oh, back to Mervis. Okay, sorry. I was just making sure that we were there. Okay, so talking about Mervis, he's like Bladé, who, oh my goodness, he's also had uh, AFL success, but he just, he swings and misses so much. It's that fastball running up and away from them that he has a hard time. He's swinging inside it a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of right-handed pitchers who have that, you know, that pitch. So um, I'm scared of Matt Mervis. I do think that there's you know, totally, it might bottom out on him. It might be a quad A guy. Um, but the way I would value a guy like this on the big league scale for, for real baseball is as like a 40, maybe a 40 plus someone like that. You know, guys like Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar and Justin Bohr and Christian Walker, All they have their, had their fantasy viability. Right, right. Like they have their peak. They have their three, you know, year window where they're, doing something Bohr and Jesus Aguilar have like made all-star teams, but in the grand baseball scale, uh, they tend to fall towards like, you know, the bottom of, you know, they just hang around less than the guys who can like play actual positions. No doubt. Tend to I mean, look, look what happened to Chris Carter. Uh, you know, he's kind of the poster boy. Of Great example. He, he won a batting uh, home run title and got a brief stay the next year in the league and was out of the league at age 30. Fran Mill Reyes had yes. a 30 homer yes. season and was DFA not long after that. And so that is where these guys for sure can have pockets of fantasy relevance and impact. Whereas if I'm projecting the first, you know, six years, the pre free agency years of someone like a Fran Mill Reyes, I'm going to put 40 on him because they tend to have that quick little peak up and down. And then roster flexibility becomes an issue at, DH first base for them and yep. they kind of fall away. So, you know, we'll call them def- fantasy comments. That's a good one. Yes. Right, that's yeah. a great phrase, but so yeah. What, so what else we got with the Cubbies then? Let's see. So yeah, obviously I'm big on Pete Crow Armstrong, probably yeah. not a, a 2023 guy. I do like Edwin Rios. I do think like Edwin Rios is kind of a freak. How much power he has as a left-handed so hitter. Good if he can um, connect, I, I, I can't quit him. Um, I really wanted the Tigers to take a look. I, I thought maybe, you know, I know he can't really play third, but what do they care about the defense? Right. You know, get somebody who can mash the hell out of the ball. But I thought this was a decent pickup for the Cubs. The only downside was that it, it gave another potential block to uh, Mervis. But you think Rios could find some MLB time with the Cubbies? It's possible. There's certainly impact power there if he does. If he finds a way to fall into at bats, he's, again, like Patrick Wisdom, he has all those home runs. And so that's, you know, fantasy impact. And then realistically, not long after that, here he is as part of like a picture in the mix, but not having fully grabbed jobs. So, you know, any of those guys, these power over hit types who the Cubs have sort of collected to give opportunities to at the corner, 
I think are pretty interesting. And then Alexander Canario, 23 year old who they got from the Giants in the uh, Chris Bryant trade. Mm -hmm. Monster bat speed guy. He's been hurt, but he's on the 40 man now. So he's another one who could come up and, and be a big deal. Okay, that's uh, Alexander Canario. So, yeah, what about Brennan Davis? Last one there. Um, I feel like his fantasy stock in the world has dropped a bit. He had a season that he barely played because of injury, but he also strikes out a ton. He, he strikes me as a lot of these other guys that we're talking about where there might just be too much swing and miss. Brennan yes. Davis, you see that similarly? Yeah, I, he's a stay away from me at this point, both become, because of the swing and miss and the chronic injury. He's had mm -hmm. stuff dating back to high school injury-wise, hamstring and back, a bunch of different things. So, you know, at this point, he's a stay away guy for me. I, you know, some of the pitchers that they have there, Hayden Wesneski. Wesneski, huge fan of him. Ben Brown, who they got from the Phillies at, at the trade deadline. Power, you know, mid-90s fastball breaking ball guy who's on the starter reliever line. Uh, like both those guys quite a bit. But yeah, at this point, I'd probably have Canario over Brendan Davis at this stage. Just I have made that move as well. Um, all right, let's move over to the Pirates. They, they've been putting together a good system but it's time for it to start paying some dividends. I think Andy Rodriguez is the is the biggest guy right now that is closest in terms of hitters, but he's another catcher, so he has that issue of are they going to let him come up and be the full-time catcher? They went out and got guys who are defense-only types, Austin Hedges, Kevin Pulecki. What does that do for Andy Rodriguez? Does that put him as somebody who's a, a summer call-up, or can he break camp and take that Pulecki spot? I think so. I think that he'll be up at some point during the summer. Um Hedges and Andy are the only two on the 40 man right now. And then they've got mm -hmm. a bunch of NRIs, including, yeah, Ploiecki and Tyler Heineman seem like the two guys with a chance to, to really make the team. Um, but yeah, I, I think Andy, Andy is probably interesting enough and could be up quickly enough that he is someone who I might consider drafting and stashing. Okay. Um, there are other avenues to get his bat into the lineup because he plays a couple other different positions. So it's feasible to me that he could be up and play some sort of multi-positional role. Uh, and so, yeah, like, you know, there's speed here. There's the contact portion. I think there's enough happening here that of all the guys who might not be up on opening day, uh, this is the first one that we've mentioned who I think might be worth like a draft and stash, especially, you know, if you have a deeper roster. Yeah, if you got a deeper reserve and it can be hard to hold a third catcher, but also the benefit of him being a catcher for Andy Rodriguez can be substantial. Henry Davis is a little bit further away. He's a catcher, so yeah. I wouldn't worry about drafting him right now. Luis Ortiz is somebody I like. Uh, the latest mining the news from Jeff Zimmerman says that uh, had a piece that he's probably going to be uh, headed for AAA to start the season, which I totally understand. He only had 16 innings at the majors last year and only 10 at AAA at that. But what do we see out of Luis Ortiz? Summer impact for the Pirates? Yeah, both him and Mike Burrows, I think, will be up at some point in our, our impact guys. Burrows is only a shade below in our you know Pirates write up like a tier outside the hundred because of his injury history. Okay. Um, but that's, you know, riding mid nineties fastball plus change up. So both him and, and Louis Ortiz, Ortiz has got, you know, a seven slider. There's bullpen risk with him too, but uh, it could be high impact Myers, maybe in the, in the sure. bullpen. Then if, if they move Bednar, cause you know, I know he's a constant trade candidate discussion because he's a 28 year old closer and what does a crappy right. team need with that? But then if Ortiz took that spot, then he'd be right back in the fantasy uh, eye. Yep. Totally in on that group. Um, and, and think that they'll be up at some point during the summer. I know they like Malcolm Nunez there as well. Um, so he's, he's someone who, if he's up, he could be that guy who 
has, you know, 18 bombs over the last three months of the season or something like that. Like just because there's so much power and it feels like they like him enough to, to maybe give him an opportunity later. They move on from one of their corner guys via trade. Yeah. Someone like G man or, or Kutch or Zawinski kind of bottoms out and, and they bring up Malcolm Nunez. I could totally see something like that. I like that. And then one last one, Leover Pagaro. you had him for a 2023 ETA. Um, does he have fantasy impact? I know he's a big name from back when they got him from the diamondbacks. Yeah. It's been years though. And I feel like, you know, speed is kind of his thing, but can he get on base enough to flex that speed as a, as a fantasy asset? He's a stay away from me for like 2023 fantasy purposes. He and um, Brian Rocchio and Cleveland system, both mm-hmm. have kind of dealt with the yips. Oh, so I'm that's um just in winter ball, watching both those guys play winter ball. That's kind of going on there. So that's be scary. careful with that. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to look coming out here this spring. Um, so I, I stay away from him for now. All right. Let's uh, let's throw some cold water on 2023 Ellie De La Cruz. Or not. Maybe <laughs> maybe I, I shouldn't. But I had him a bit lower on the redraft for this year but just because I see the swing and miss. It's egregious. He's only reached double A. The tools are insane again. So I'm not comping him to, to Weimer, but it's that same sort of thing where he might just out hit the shit out of the swing and miss and run as well. But Deo Cruz is obviously a huge dynasty guy, top 10 type, total monster, middle infielder. Talk to us about Deo Cruz switch hitter for the Cincinnati Reds. Did you meet yourself again? Sorry, yeah, I no do. Problem. You know, Ellie De La Cruz, uh, he's like O'Neill Cruz, except rather than a two XL, he's you know six four. Yep. Um, switch. I'm hitting. glad you said that, by the way, because I, may, I, you know, I kind of made that loose comp, but I'm like, I don't want to be lazy with that, no, but that's exactly what I saw. Yep, that's you know, there. It's crazy to think that there's a comp for a guy like this at all. <laughs> I know. As close as you're going to get is is O'Neill. There's definitely more lift in Ellie's swing right now than O'Neill, who's contact tends to be a little bit flatter mm-hmm. um and ellie is just like o'neill's kind of a serious you know guy and uh and ellie is a goofball so but um but yeah they're not couple. I, I don't think ellie's up a ton this season um he is still pretty loose defensively mm-hmm. and his approach is not great in ways that like <laughs> i've heard them on the backfields ask him to like take a strike like hey this next day b you have to see at least one strike and then the first pitch wham and they're like <laughs> you know he's rounding the bases and they're just like i gotta bench him you know like, yeah they're like that was good but you didn't listen so i saw we, him we get benched to... two falls ago after he homered like because he's going <laughs> the first pitch um so, so there, there are things to work on there but okay yeah definitely more of a 2024 yeah, uh, debut guy in all probability, but just be the careful. Are so ridiculous. Be careful in the redrafts with Ellie De La Cruz and your dynasties go crazy. Take him as high as you want, really, because if you if you believe in him, I got no problem. If you want to go crazy, take him top three. But beyond yeah. that, be careful. Uh, one they, other guy. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. They almost have to give Jose Barrero an opportunity. Uh, yeah, I, another guy before anybody quit, else. But he he's been Speaking so bad. Decisions. Yeah. Yeah, so he blew out his knee, right? And so when like Barrero was 21 and in the fall league and mm-hmm. had just had a pretty good season in the mid minors, you're like, wow, this is if I saw a 21 year old like this, like a plus defensive shortstop with plus power, even with his swing and miss issues, 
if I saw this guy at Vanderbilt, he's going to go in the top five or seven picks oh, in no the doubt. draft. No doubt. And then he got hurt and his approach has always been bad. And we had no 2020 season. And so some of the, you know, some of the stuff seems to, that you wanted to see progress hasn't really had an opportunity to. Uh, and he he looked really, really bad last year. and Just a nightmare. Triple A and majors. And, you know, um, this Jose Garcia, by the way, people might still remember him from right. that name change. But Jose Barrero now, it, he's 25. They will give him a chance of some sort. But I, do you think he breaks camp? Probably not. I think that Kevin Newman will be the shortstop. Um, yeah when they break camp, but just in terms of like what the pecking order will look like this year, if they trade Kevin Newman or whatever it is um, that, that they'd have to give Barrero the next opportunity just to kind of see what they, what they have there. He's almost had options and all that stuff. So they kind of, it's imperative for them to get a better feel for what's going on there. Whereas Ellie, if Ellie's going to be really good at burning his option year this year is like, whatever like he'll just be up at some point permanently you don't have to worry about that anymore but exactly um, but with Barrero it's sort of on the fringe and so they have to they have to see I've got some love for Spencer Steer and I will admit a decent bit of it is that park you know it's Coors Jr. as I like to call it but he seems like a solid bat to ball guy has some decent patience is there anything to like here with Spencer Steer uh, possibly having a full-time job in Cincinnati yeah I think he just he rakes. He's always raked. It's medium impact, but super duper consistency. He's fine enough at second and at third that I think he will be in the mix every day in some capacity. Um, uh, yeah, and, and this is an org who, you know, think about some of the infield defense stuff that they've been willing to try, where Mustakis yep. plays second Moose. base and Kyle Farmer plays short and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, Jonathan India has been dinged pretty consistently throughout his career. So I think there's going to be a ton of opportunity here and maybe a chance that they try to slide steer up the defensive spectrum. He has experience at shortstop uh, from a scouting standpoint, doesn't really project there in a vacuum, but uh, again, this org has been willing to to take a broader look at who they're willing to put at the six every day. So yeah, I'm a big Spencer steer guy. And um, just, just think that the probability that he hits is very, very high. I'm really excited about him. Glad to get the co-sign there. Uh, no longer a prospect, of course, but one time a top two pick, if I, Nick Senzel. Um, do you still have any hope for him? I know it comes down to the health, but do you still have hope in the skills? If I were to grant him you know, some magic health dust, would you yeah. be in on him? Or have, have the skills shown anything that has you concerned, even if, he, if, even if Nick Senzel were to stay healthy? I just think it's been too long since he's, he's been good to think mm-hmm. that he's going to be again. Um, what a weird draft that was. I, I know. 2016 Go back draft. and look at the 2016 draft, folks. It is very interesting. It's a horror show. Yep, it really, really is. Will Smith, I guess what it was, Will Smith should have been the first guy, really. Oh, yeah. Who went in the comp round. Yeah, because that, that's uh, that's Moniac, Senzel, Ian Anderson, Riley Pint, and um, Puck or Corey Ray uh, as the top five. I think it's I think it's I think it's Ray uh, as the top five. And I mean, th- that tells you all you really need to know. You go deeper in the first, you're not going to see much there. Maybe Gavin Lux as a late first, but Will Smith in the comp round easily the best first round guy there. I still love Dylan Carlson, but he hasn't put up the numbers either. It's just a nightmare. I said interesting to be nice. You said nightmare, which is the accurate way to uh, yeah. to call it there. Somebody have been the Phillies that year. Like, what I do you do? They, it, that's, sometimes you get the number one and, and there's nothing there. Even if you're in a perfect world, yeah, Will Smith would have been good, but he was nowhere near the top. You have to have the hindsight to do that. None of those guys in the top 
10, 12, right. Could, could you say, Oh, they should have taken this guy. Right. There's nothing there. And, nope. and they got the number one and it was Moniac. Uh, anybody else in Cincy that's caught your eye that we need to pay attention to? Uh, let's see. Um, obviously I think, you know, Noel V. Marte has kind of fallen enough to, to stay off him. He, bounce back is still priced into where I have him lined up, but he's another one like Ellie where he's almost gonna, certainly going to spend the entire year in the, uh, in the minors. That's kind of what I figure. I've always kind of had a soft spot for Jason Vossler. Who's 29 is an NRI you can swing uh, it. big time playable power. Just lefty stick with plus power and lift. Mm-hmm. Um, who's hopped around the, the upper minors with teams who kind of had him blocked. Um, It'd be like a dreary then if you found playing time. Yes, take, that, advantage that's of that interesting. Park. Or like a wisdom, yeah, Patrick wisdom yeah, type Patrick guy. Patrick wisdom, you know, but taking advantage of that park to really inflate his numbers, but he plays half his games there. So Jason Vossler is an interesting name to throw out there. Not a clear path to playing time, but we just talked about Nick Senzel, who is constantly hurt. And that's probably it for now. Some of the pitchers okay. on the the horizon for the next couple of years are interesting, but um, the Brandon Williamson and Levi Stout uh, types. I, you know, they're just fine. So I, I don't think that anyone has and to they'll be hurt by the park, them. you know, so yeah, it, for it, sure, that's a tough part there. All right, let's go out to the NL West and talk Dodgers. Um, it's an interesting year for them because it looks like they're going to be playing some kids this year. You know, they don't have that, uh, that overwhelming one to nine lineup. We got guys like Vargas and Outman who are on the horizon there. I know Vargas is dealing with that hairline fracture. It's not expected to really hurt him. Uh, I'm, I'm still a big Gavin Lux guy. Let's start with him. Am I crazy for still being in on him as somebody who can be a premium fantasy talent? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that this is another org that's got um, real feel for maxing out what guys are doing physically for correcting movement, for quantifying and tweaking like aspects of biomechanics in, in relevant ways. And so Miguel Vargas, I like. Mm-hmm. Um have never thought like this was a big monster star type guy, but you know, some of that is because it's medium physicality and and power as a like corner defender. He's kind of lost a bunch of weight and now is going to play a mix of second base and left field. What's up with that? That speed. Cause he flashed, like I I saw the grade on him. He flashed that huge speed. I missed that. Cause I I actually wrote, you know, he has mediocre speed. He might be able to take advantage of uh of the new rules and i was corrected in the comments saying hey he popped off with the yes. uh with the sprint speed is that new to his game yes um you know and sprint speed as a measure is you know it's in- an interesting data point for sure uh, it can be I, noisy too i still care about it. it's such a narrow measurement it is yeah. you know sprint speed is measuring your fastest one second window in feet per second and so it's not like it's measuring acceleration and, and long speed the way a stopwatches and obviously my stopwatch has other issues, right? Like I'm operating it. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but, um, but you know, those home to first times on, um, on Savant, that's, you know, if I, if I care about speed, that's just how you, that's where speed impacts the game the most in my yes. opinion is, can you turn an out into an infield hit? running from home to first and and uh, jeff zimmerman has found that the home to first times are much more useful for projecting steals as well as opposed yep. to just the raw sprint speeds yeah you really are measuring um all the different components of speed with that 90 foot timed speed um so but it's, all i have to say is like i think miguel Vargas is really going to hit um there's probably not going to be a ton of power there and yeah as he has gotten leaner his the exit velos have kind of come down. Mm-hmm. 
But I do think at some point that's going to bounce back. Like just as he ages back into his mid twenties, he's going to pack it on a little bit again. Um, as anyone other than the host of this current podcast can attest, like you just tend to put on weight <laughs> as you enter your twenties and thirties. True. So yeah, I, I can't, I can't keep it on. So if anybody wants to give me some, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to take it on, but I have not been able to um, Michael Bush. He's a guy that in my head I've grouped, as like a Spencer Steer type, where I feel like he's yes. just going to hit. Do we see some playing time for him this year, and could he make an impact, Michael Bush? I think it's possible. I think they're going to try to keep him at second base too, with the fact that that they're, they'd rather try Miguel Vargas there uh, pretty fresh, whereas Michael Bush has been playing there for a while, indicates that they don't really think Michael Bush can play second base. And I don't either. He's really terrible yeah, there. He's a DH only for me. But I think there's enough stick that, He's an everyday guy anyway. You think he was Much bummed about worse. the shift news? Probably, yeah, yeah. Uh, he already couldn't play there. Like his, that, you know, That's the thing. He wasn't good with the shift, but he yeah. needed those extra advantages to be able to move around because, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think Bush is DH only. But, hey, at least the DH is in the NL now. So they have J.D. Martinez. Yeah, that's the tough part. <laughs> Bush has played some corner outfield in the past, too. He did at North Carolina. Um but they've added a bunch of guys in front of him in left. Yep. David Peralta can still, you know, he's still okay against righties. Mm-hmm. Let's see what this team can do with Jason Hayward's swing. Like Jason Hayward, I think we'd all agree, has uncommon gifts in athleticism. And Undoubtedly. For sure, as we all watched Jason Hayward come up and, and thought he was going to be Griffey or whatever, we, we saw parts of that. And then he's kind of been like Hosmer where – you know, the just so many balls in play on the ground and, you know, this and that. So let's see how now someone's spinning the wheel with it, with a really talented guy. Um, so I kind of I wonder how that's going to look. Um, it would make for an interesting article, really, to see if they it'd be really anything. cool if, if they are able to figure out. Uh, uh, Jason Hayward, I would love it because I, I rooted for him, for him from day one. He's such a fun player to root for. It's been a bummer that he's become, you know, kind of middling and, and really a defense-only kind of guy. What about Andy Pajes? Uh, another guy I saw at AFL, another OTP guy for me that's popped off in some Sims. So I'm kind of I'm kind of anchored to him as well. Feels yes. like the dude can mash, but as you mentioned, a lot of those corner infielders are going to block his path up too, and defense isn't necessarily his strength. I think he can handle a corner, but it's not something that he's going to force his way up there. But can his can his bat force his way up? Yeah, he that whole group of guys who will probably start the year in AAA, James Outman, Andy Pajes, and Johnny DeLuca, mm-hmm. um, I think could probably hold their own if if injuries force them into the big league lineup. Pajes, there's so much playable power. It's going to be a four-bat, but there's so much lift and, and raw power that he probably is a 25-plus homer guy if he's playing every day. Outman is a left-handed version of it. Not quite as much juice, but there still is some. I know Keith had him on his hundred and I have talked to people who like prefer Outman to Pahe. So okay. I, so I can, he has a I better chance of playing center. Like Outman's Outman is okay in center field. More athleticism than than Pahe. Yes. And then DeLuca, uh one of the Dodgers front office folks was telling me at a at a game last fall that DeLuca broke their like like uh force plates like they have <laughs> plates that that measure the ground forces that you generate with your lower body 
and he broke them. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, he's a 24-year-old. He, he is on the 40 as well. So he's kind of a sneaky guy that I don't think he gets much talk. Johnny DeLuca on he's the so 40. Weird, dude. He was a switch hitter in college. He kind of, he scrapped that. He's only hitting right-handed now. He was like a speedy leadoff type guy at Oregon. And now he's like, you know, he's ripped now. And so he, he, he's, he is a monster. I did not know about that, that story about breaking the force plates, but he's got the pop. And I, I think it, he's made some pretty good contact in them. He doesn't strike out a bunch. There's still a swing strike rate that says he'll strike out more than the teens rates that he's had in the minors. Cause he's also been a bit old for his levels, but I feel like he could keep it in that 25% range. And with that kind of power, that's not bad for DeLuca, right? Yes. That whole, that whole group, I think. And like DeLuca's stuff across the board is, yeah, it looks, it's average to above. And um, I thought it was telling that there's some other upper level outfield prospects here who the Dodgers had the opportunity to add to the 40 man, like Jose Ramos, who's, you know, sexy six two, huge bat yep. speed guy with like zero approach. And they chose to add DeLuca instead and expose Ramos to, to the rule five and no, and nobody bit. So, so yeah, like anybody, if anybody from this group, you start to hear buzz that they've like, taken a leap and are in the mix for some sort of regular duty in the outfield, whether it's because like Trace Thompson turns into a pumpkin or the yeah. old can we talk left about fielders, Thompson? You know, yeah. because is he gonna be their starting center fielder? <sighs> I guess so. <laughs> I'm not I, so I I feel like such a hater, but I'm just not sold on it. I don't know what their alternatives are. That's true because all the guys we talked about, of all of them, only Outman can play, and he's kind of stretched in center. It is really hard to play out there when you really look at what transactions happen on the margins during the course of the big league season. It is like someone claimed Bradley Zimmer off waivers. Yep. Somebody claimed Sergio Alcantara off of waivers. Like you it's just so hard to actually play big league shortstop catcher center field. Exactly. It's, it's the, it's the up the middles that you hear about. Like it, it, it's, it's cliche for a reason. Cause those are so important and you can get guys that can play there. Bradley Zimmer, Brett Phillips keep getting chances cause they can hang in those two in, in center field. But with Thompson, certainly the Dodgers have the luxury where if you're going to piece guys like this together, if you're going to Voltron together, like Hayward and, and trace, or like Lux and, you know, you can kind of play the way the Dodgers do it really is like Chris Taylor is the right-handed half of something. Yes. And then they can make, they can play in-game matchups and move, you know, depending on who they want to pinch it for, they get to move Chris Taylor around. Yeah. He, so he like is, he that's is Army knife. like a hinge that allows two other guys to platoon with one another. Uh, so, you know, Trace like, if you're going to bet on a guy, if you're going to say, all right, a guy actually has a meaningful breakthrough in his early 30s, what type of player is it going to be? You're like, oh, I bet he's like super athletic, well-built guy. The fact that he's sort of hung around in the upper minors for long enough to even be here anymore uh, means that he's probably that type of guy. And mm -hmm. so, but, um, but the, like I said, the Dodgers have the luxury of, of knowing what Trace Thompson is good at. And then putting him in position to succeed because they have someone to, to plug in when, you know, what he's not good at is on the mound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, he won't play every day, even if he is a starting center fielder against a, a lot of lefties and some righties. But 
Uh, looks like Trace Thompson is going to get some playing time, so maybe I am being too much of a hater. We're going to give the Dodgers more time because we got to talk about some of their pitchers. They've got guys that are on the cusp, and of course, with Bueller being out, and they didn't really go out and make any moves outside of Thor, who I I'm I'm wish casting that they can fix him because I love Thor, but I don't I don't know. We'll see. I, I trust that organization. But let's talk about the guys who are on the cusp here. Uh, Pepio, Grove, they're on the 40. And then the guys that are better, but not on the 40, Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone. What do we think about the pitching prospects for the Dodgers? Yeah, so Ryan Pepio, the combination of you know his command being pretty fringy and him not really having a great breaking ball pushes him to the bullpen. He's a reliever for me, 100%. So especially in an org like this, that guy tends to end up in the bullpen. Dustin May coming back, you know, all sorts of other things uh, probably push Pepio to the to the bullpen. Okay. Which is super interesting to deploy, by the way, because of that changeup. I bet I don't know if he's got reverse splits, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Grove and you know Grove is fine. He's medium impact. I, I wouldn't really worry too much about him. Um, if I were a fantasy drafter for 2023, Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller, yeah, like there's a chance that they kick down the door, both of them. There's some sentiment that like I underranked Stone on the hundred, like from uh, industry people. The feedback so far has included that that like okay. if I'm if I'm putting a bunch of athletic strike throwers in my 55 tier because in part I think they're gonna work efficiently and eat a ton of innings. That guy belongs in there with like the Taj Bradleys of the world for the same reason. Um, and so that's Gavin Stone. It's another like plus command, plus changeup guy. They tend to outperform expectations. Nasty changeup uh, from from Gavin Stone. Kind of the opposite of Bobby Miller, right? Who works with the power heater, kind of your prototypical prospect. Um, he did make the fifty-five tier for you. Is he ready to make an impact? Yeah, I think so. Bobby's always, you know, he's big, burly, strong dude. His delivery is violent, but he's always thrown a ton of strikes and been very, very durable. He's basically been sitting 94 to 97 or above that since his junior year at Louisville. And, you know, it's sinker oriented. So there will be fewer strikeouts than someone who sits like 97 to 101 early on and starts. But uh, yeah, like monster, monster piece. Um, I think, you know, some of the sentiment here is that they're going to let the kids play. It's part of the reason they let yeah. some of the free agents walk and they're going to let these guys, I think, play. Um, Let's see how Alex Reyes looks when he comes back. Wouldn't that's even another... be surprised if they fixed him too. Right. Like, so that's one where when you're looking at their bullpen, I like Daniel Hudson and I like Evan Phillips and mm -hmm. who they fixed and Alex Vesia, who they made better and all this other stuff, right? Like Yancy Almonte is a real piece here when he couldn't really do a ton in Colorado. Um, and I still think Gratterall could find some swing and miss. I mean, sure. it hasn't been there, but like he's only 25. So when I'm talking about, you know, the names I just listed or Alex Reyes, who has more pure ability. Like it's not even close. So, Oh yeah. I'm pretty excited about Reyes. We'll see what happens there. Um, and so that's another one to watch. And then for the dynasty folks, some of the other pitchers, river Ryan, who they got in a trade with San Diego last year for Matt Beatty, a converted infielder, you know, just great on mound athlete who gave the Padres and then the Dodgers, an awful lot of raw material to work with. And now I think some of that is starting to solidify into real like mid nineties plus breaking ball type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the ceiling on a guy's command and change up 
who's like this athletic is pretty big and he's new to pitching and all that stuff. So River Ryan um, and Nick Nostrini, who's got more traditional power shit right now, like mid nineties, two good breaking balls. Both of those guys, I think are top 100 prospects next year. Sweet. Okay. Let's move over to the Padres. Then obviously they are fighting tooth and nail with this Dodgers club and they've got plenty of impact uh, on their team, but they're a pretty veteran team at this point. Now they've, they've used a lot of their prospects to get better. You know, they've kind of, been smart here while also graduating some to be good. I want to talk about a guy who's no longer a prospect, but I can't seem to quit. That's Trent Grisham. He's down. He's down in the fantasy market big time. So it doesn't hurt me if he busts again the way he did last year. But do you see any way back for him? Because the thing of it is, he's got that crazy strikeout rate, but he doesn't have a ton of swing and miss. So is he just getting in too deep of counts uh, with that passivity that we talked about earlier yeah. with some guys? What is his deal? Because that was a that was a disaster season last year for Trent Grisham. Yeah, certainly. You know, he's there's nowhere to go but up, and. Grisham's always been really hard to evaluate. Even when he was in high school, he was, you know, his name, people can YouTube him. He was Trent Clark at the time, right? Mm -hmm. So, but he's always been super weird prospect to try to evaluate. Um, I don't know. I would be, I'd be surprised if so much of, of the power he and a couple other guys hit for, I feel like was the baseball as, you know, it was constituted during the 2019 and 2020 seasons. So, um. Yeah, I would. I'd probably stay away from Trent Clark unless I'm in an OBP league. Then I think it's worth the gamble because you know that part is going to be baked into what he's doing at least. Yeah. And if some of the power comes back, all right, great. Like that's icing on the cake. At least there's some skill set that you've acquired. But um, the sense I've gotten is that the, like the Padres have been in the Brian Reynolds market and mm-hmm. this and that. So I think the Padres maybe don't think that that. Trent Grisham is has a bounce back in him and that they're fine running him out there because his defense is so great. Uh, but if that, that certainly they, helps, they will take an opportunity to upgrade if it presents itself. So um, I'm, I'm skeptical that there will be a bounce back here. Here's one for you. This with this roster, Brett Sullivan. Okay. Talk to me about Brett Sullivan. So Brett Sullivan's a 29 year old catcher. Left-handed hitting catcher. Who's been blocked in a bunch of different orgs, Tampa Bay, um, this guy can really hit, and with the Camp Usano smoke about like the org kind of getting you know impatient with him, yeah, and Austin Nola having backed up on paper from an offensive standpoint here lately, he screams that he needs to be put into a backup role at this point. I don't know that he can get another 400 plate appearances this year. If let's say that, let's say that, uh Brett Sullivan and Austin Nola are comparable offensive players. Just the fact that Brett Sullivan hits left-handed. Yes. That's going to be a winner. He's in the lineup every day. Yep. You know, more often than. So Brett Sullivan had a 12% strikeout rate at AAA last year with the Padres. Um, He's never had huge, huge power numbers. And some of the power, he slugged 444 last year. And some of that is just being in the Pacific Coast League. And El Paso specifically, if I recall yes. correctly, is a pretty solid place to hit. But um, if I'm digging into like the TrackMan d- data from the year, and some of this is folks can scrape from uh, online because the PCL data is, is pretty public through Baseball Savant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> pardon me, folks. But, um, but yeah, like you can take the game day game ID from the URL 
and you know put it into the game the baseball savant game feed of and you know pick any regular season mlb game from the year and just plug that little six digit game id code in and you'll get like the stat cast for florida state nice trick there there. i like that um brett sullivan's in zone contact rate at triple a last year was 92 percent um his overall contact rate was 88 percent and so you know that's pretty ridiculous. Like that's a 70 on the scale, basically. Yeah, that's filthy. So just because of the situation here with things maybe going set turning sour with Campusano and Austin Nola maybe just being okay, I think there's a chance that this guy gets an opportunity at some point here for San Diego. That's a great call out. Brett Sullivan, keep an eye out for him as a catcher potential. Um Jackson Merrill is probably far away but he did he did get a non-roster invite and literally just got a base hit as i'm watching the uh, the game against seattle right now so i figure i'd be remiss if i didn't at least bring him up i think he's going to be like 20 years old in a month like i said probably too far away for now but we are talking dynasty as well what do you think of the long-term outlook of jackson merrill with padres i'm not sure because this is another org that just goes we think you're good like let's go move on up yeah yeah, like they put C.J. Abrams in the big leagues having, you know, he barely played. Uh, Tatis, they juiced, you know, even guys, some of the pitching. <laughs> Great turn of phrase there. Oh, they yeah. Did, sorry, they did yeah. juice them. <laughs> um, Hone, right? Like yeah. Brian Weathers, they they just go. So um, I don't know that Jackson Merrill is all that far away. I love him very much. Um, you know, potentially elite bat-to-ball skills. His approach is more contact driven. I do the, you know, I made a comp in the blurb, Michael Tate or Michael Brantley, but shortstop. And I do think that that's like in play for this guy. And so um, samurai like bat control and just, you know, beautiful. Some of the the slow-mo swings are just gorgeous. He's got such good feel for contact and um, has grown into uh, like an adult build here pretty quickly in you know as he's approaching age 21 so uh i would expect them i think his fall league assignment at the end of the year was you know he had some injuries last year but it was still pretty aggressive for a guy that caught my, been, yeah that caught my eye big time with jackson merrill that they sent yeah. him to the fall league because that's like you know it doesn't always mean you're going to be in the majors the next year but it's a little bit of a finishing school we know that the pitching talent isn't huge there but for a 19 year old who was at a ball to get that call i thought that was pretty yes pretty uh pretty nice for for merrill to get that so yeah i'm i'm quite big on him and then some of the other guys here it's almost all dynasty type guys because they got far off guys right now so it's like samuel zavala and stuff like that um I got to get on their backfields here soon and turn over some rocks and see if there's anybody else hanging around. You know, you love, I love like looking at the roster resource for the Padres and seeing who their depth arms are. It's mm-hmm. like Jay Groom. I was going to say Cole Hamels and stuff. Like, it's just so many fun guys. They really do have sizzle to that org, don't they? <laughs> I love it. I love it. You talk, you run the gamut there with Jay Groom all the way to Cole Hamels. And they've already said that Cole Hamels, you know, would be a summer guy that they're going to take their time with to work him back. You did mention Ryan Weathers, who has been in the majors, but he's been kind of absent uh, for a little while now. He did pitch in the majors last year, but it was like nothing. It was three and two thirds, but got 95 innings in 2021. Had a few flashes. Can he come back and be something? Ryan Weathers, uh, quality guy for them. 
And I've been mixed on him. The the Padres like guys who have stones. Like they like they will draft players who they sit in the living room across from them and their parents, and there's something about the kid that they like. Yeah, the dog and in them. So Weathers is that guy's Dave Weathers kid. Mm-hmm. Um but a, another important thing that the Padres like don't care as much about seemingly is the shape of your fastball. <laughs> and so like, as we were sitting here, Ryan Weathers, someone sitting back there uh, at the Mariners and Padres game today, Ryan Weathers was 95, 97 today. Okay. in his first spring outing. So um, that's pretty good. So, yeah. you know, that's there. His fastball is never going to play like that because of its shape. But you know, the, I have seen Ryan Weathers sit 88, you know, like he's got a high maintenance body. He's not a fantastic on man mound athlete. The Padres maintain that he's an incredible athlete. Like he can dunk a basketball and all that stuff. Like that's great. But you know, he's a pretty stiff legged guy out there. And so I'm going to round down on that guy long-term, but like the kid is competitive as hell. He's came out the gates at 95, 97 today. Um, I got to check my text when we're done here and see how like groom and Cosgrove and those guys, mm-hmm. uh, look today but um but yeah like ryan weathers he's in that maybe bucket for me for sure i i have never been huge on him but guy came out throwing blowing 96 today on day one so yeah just out of the gates now he ended up giving up three unearned which we're not judging him too harsh on unearned runs or even runs in general but yeah groom and and cosgrove got the pitch too um listen a guy i've loved but injuries have just ravaged him is there any hope left for brent honeywell jr uh you know, it's it's not like he's going to be a six or anything like that. I don't think yeah. it's so. But he, could he be a legit five though? You I know, just hope a, he has a, a career. 50. Yeah, yeah. I I just want to get to the majors and and even if he's a swingman type, I I'd be happy. I just really like him. He seemed okay. He pitched in the Dominican Winter League. I probably caught a, a start or two, um, and he seemed okay. So you know, the Padres scout that league and they sign a bunch of their the guys who become their depth arms out of there, like Julio Tehran threw in the Dominican mm-hmm. um, this winter and looked pretty good. And I think that's part of why they, they did that. Obviously Wilmer font Wilmer and font. Aaron Brooks and those guys have, have pitched in foreign leagues and the Padres love to sign guys who, you know, threw in Japan, like most yep. of their bullpen, Nick Martinez and Bob, uh, Robert uh, Suarez, Robert Suarez. And um, they have more guys than that. Oh gosh, Chris Nabil Krizmat has Nabil Dominican. Yeah. But other I'm trying to think of some of the other guys, but like oh cripes. Pierce Johnson. Like they really sign a lot of those guys. So that, yeah, that, the could, be a, are scouting that them, could be a little man. bit of a factory. Oh, I think so. I think I think that Japanese baseball is really good. I think that I agree. people, you know, when the WBC stuff gets rolling. That yeah, people need to watch Munetaka Murakami. People need to watch Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Roki Sasaki. And oh God, Murakami, Sasaki. Murakami. If he were over here, he'd be the th- number three prospect after Carroll and. Wow, it's huge. It's it's gigantic. I can't power wait to music. watch him. I, I, gigantic left-handed power. That, that I didn't realize he would be that high if he was here though. That's yeah. that's huge. Uh, all right, let's move on to the Giants. And I think all of their prospects, by virtue of their team, have to be like 28 just because they, <laughs> they don't like anybody. <laughs> no, they've got some young guys, and they got somebody I really like in Kyle Harrison. I'm excited about him. Um, their rotation is so old that I feel like he has to get a shot this year if he doesn't fall on his face, right? It's possible. Um, 
you know, Kyle Harrison's got that upshot angle fastball that this organization loves. It's mm-hmm. you know, they feel like they can max out what guys are doing with that type of fastball the way they have with Logan Webb, who, you know, they were adamant to me before his rookie year that he was a top 100 guy that I was light having him in that 45 tier, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they're right. And it's because at that time I did not understand how these low release height guys, like there's, it's one thing to have a low release height with a backspinning fastball because you're like a drop and drive. Yeah. You know, you're Dono Ventura type of pitcher um, or like Lincecum, you know, like Tim Lincecum has a low release height because his stride is so long. He's so low to the ground, but he still is backspinning the baseball and giving it that ride. And guys like Logan Webb, are more low slot and they're creating like a tailing and sinking action on the ball. But those guys can still run it up the ladder and have like fastball utility at the letters like Lincecum does, or like a Colin Poche, you know, Clayton Kershaw, these guys who are ripping it past yet at the top of the zone, uh, living sheerly off of angle. And so Kyle Harrison's that Kyle Harrison's like super low to the ground, drop and drive, his thigh is almost grazing the mound. He's so low. Oh, wow. And his arm Seems slot is pretty low too. And, you know, I think there's relief risk here. I, of that group of guys who I have in the 55 tier, I have him stacked in there with, with Ricky Tiedemann mm-hmm. and uh, Mick Abel as like the monster ceiling guys who are still very young and who I think still have a little bit of. Uh, heightened relief risk relative to some of the, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, Brandon Fots of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Kyle Harrison, it's, you know, it's monster, monster stuff. If they're, if they're in the mix, like if they are comp- competing for a playoff spot, then hell yes, that and Kyle Harrison should be in the major leagues at some point. And at the very least working out of their bullpen, giving them some, some yes. goodness there, which won't be as fantasy relevant, but NL only folks could still maybe get a look at him and, and see what he can do. Now they do have some other guys that have been around now for a little while and you still have a 2024 ETA on them because they were only at high A. Luis Matos and Marco Luciano, what's the latest on those two? Could either of them jump their ETA a year and, and maybe be looking at something for this year? I don't think so. I think, um, you know, Matos had a rough 2022. Yeah. Um, we came off him enough to move him out of the hundred. His bat speed seems to have backed up when he first came to the States. You know, he was taking a huge rip. Now it's more like, boy, this guy's swing is pretty, but it isn't very explosive anymore. And he's fine in center field. So you want to give him some margin for error there. Uh, Marco Luciano, I'm worried about. Um, I've kind of, moved one foot out of that pool. Um, the um, the back stuff has been pretty persistent for him. He had back injury last season, put him on the shelf. He had to be shut down after a couple of winter league games with uh, back issues. He's got a stress fracture in his back that's compromising his activity here during spring training. Uh, the, the winter ball look for him, however brief, was not encouraging it's possible some of this is being caused by the back injury but he's just swinging dead through the middle you know the middle in third of the zone there's just zero barrel variability here anymore uh in a way that i find a little bit concerning so luciano is are terrifying too yes yeah especially when you swing as hard as this guy does and that's part of the feature here is yes you know he rotates like this and so when that is putting enough stress on your back that you know, now you have a stress fracture. Um, 
that's that's a little bit troublesome. So I'm starting to move off of Luciano. If you're in a dynasty league and you have him, it might, it might be time to, to cash that one in. Okay, start seeing what you can get from Marco Luciano. And because of the age of their team, uh, particularly their outfield, I know he had a rotten AAA last year, uh, Elliot Ramos. Is there anything there for him to rebound? Uh, in fact, he's actually been bad in AAA his entire time, 21 and 22. Is he just stalling out in the high minors? Or is there a path back to something more than maybe a 40, 45 right now? He's another one where there were probably warning signs within this guy's swing that um, had been ignored because his tools are so big and he kept performing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's another one where uh, I think it's, you know, I'll take the under there. I think he's more likely to end up, you know, plateauing and being a quad a type guy than okay. uh, it is the Luis Gonzalez type lefty hitting contact guy who just tends to find their way into a significant big league role more often than someone like Elliot Ramos who tends yes, to and find his way talking, to Japan. You're talking, of course, about the Luis Gonzalez that they have, not the former star who hit a billion homers. Yeah, um, not uh, Jacob's dad, Luis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A- anybody else that you're looking at with the Giants that could maybe have some uh, 2023 impact? Let's see what Blake Sable does. He was their Rule 5 pick. Um, he can catch and play some other positions. They seem very interested in guys who can do that. And so they've got Roberto Perez there as an NRI. Um, I think it is less than 50-50 that Blake Sable sticks. But that whole group that's there, so Sable, they got Ford Proctor from the Rays who can also catch and do other stuff. Um, they have, uh, they've got another guy wins, right? Sure. Austin wins. Um, who's the other guy in their system? They have another guy who can do other stuff. Yeah. Definitely Patrick Bailey for uh, a couple of years from now is possible. Why can't I remember the name of the, it's not Brett Cumberland. Oh, it's Brett Auerbach. That's it. Brett. Um, I'm unfamiliar with Brett Auerbach. So he was an undrafted free agent in 2020. Most of the guys who are interesting, undrafted free agents from 2020 are pitchers guys who had interesting pitch data and have been like developed in a lab. Um, uh, Brett Auerbach was like a multi-positional guy at Alabama and he, they sent him in his, you know, first full season, like to a ball, he did okay. And then they shot him right up to double a in 2022. And he hit 17 bombs as like a catcher, second base center field guy. Um, at double A. So, you know, he's an interesting little bit player. He's probably not fantasy relevant, but the, the Giants do seem interested in these guys who can catch and do other stuff as there's like a through line in the org. And if you can uh, hit at all as a catcher, you can gain some fantasy relevance, particularly in two catcher setups. So, Brett Auerbach, if he comes up and gets some catcher eligibility, maybe there is a world where he has some deep league yes. viability. Um, and he is a bit older too. So, there's no reason to necessarily baby him if he goes to triple A and then. They uh, they bring him up for something, then he could be a name to uh, to know for sure. Anybody else you're looking at there? Yeah, the Giants uh, are pretty good at developing pitching. Uh, they are a, the type of org where they'll draft like a pretty generic college pitcher or someone whose velocity was floundering, and things will rebound. So one of those guys is Keaton Wynn, who came back from TJ in 2022 and was throwing much much harder. He's on the 40 man now. That's a name to watch out for. And then for next year and beyond, you've got guys like Mason Black, uh, Landon Roop, who throws like his curveball 65-ish percent of the time. He's got like a plus-plus hammer 
curveball mm-hmm. that is basically his you know strike one pitch he's pitching backwards all the time he's an interesting guy to watch any of those mid minors giants pitchers uh, i think have a chance to to really blow up especially if what they were lacking before was velocity which they just yeah. seem to be able to develop here even in older guys yeah that is definitely their strength obviously they're known for having a good park but they're doing things too they're not just putting a guy in a park and that's what's working they are creating or they're extracting uh bits of value and raising you know guys by half grades and full grades here to make them better as well so yeah. keep an eye on some of their pictures i know he was pretty far away like he's only pitched a ball in only 43 innings last year but he did go to AFL. Will Bedner, college guy who you know everyone knows because he was had that big World Series. Is there anything there? That's David's brother, Will Bednar. He definitely backed up last year. Uh, he is in that Logan Webb area where that's what his mechanics look like. That's how his fastball plays. But the general sentiment among scouts who saw him last year is this guy's a reliever. This guy's a reliever. Yeah, so that, that's kind of what I was thinking too with with him relief risk with for Will Bednar for sure. I think that you know he's a December 2024 Rule 5 40-man guy, so you just use that whole runway the next two seasons to see if things can rebound to what they look like at Mississippi State. Um, and if they do, wonderful. And if not, then you only have to decide to, to bullpen him at that time. Yeah, that, that makes sense. All right, let's move on to Arizona. The baby snakes, man, they have the benefit or the not the benefit, the the misfortune of being stuck in the Dodgers and Padres division. Otherwise, I'd have some real excitement for this team. That said, I still do. Uh, Corbin Carroll, number one guy in fantasy. He was number two on your list behind Gunner. The power and speed is just amazing. And doing a projection for him, I had a hard time not giving him a pretty bananas projection for somebody that's going into yes. his first full year. Is he the real deal? I mean, you got him number two, so obviously you believe he is, but what can we expect out of Corbin Carroll this year? Yeah, hell yeah. And he probably should be first on your list because of what he will probably do from a stolen base. Exactly. That, that's why he jumps Gunner uh, yeah. compared to other lists that have Gunner number one for overall prospect. Corby has been like one of my dudes since he was a high school underclassman. And that was when I thought he was like, oh, it's Brett Gardner. Oh, like that's so cute. <laughs> um but now, you know, his forearms are like as big as my thighs <laughs> and he's got, you know, 30 plus homer power because he just does it easy enough now that he gets to have the approach that he's always had and also power. And so like there were some issues last year, you know, if I were to show you his swing and miss locations from 2022 in the minors you would see a cluster at the very top of the zone. Like he was struggling to get on top of those fastballs and that can be kind of a red flag. But by the end of the year, it seemed like he had started to make an adjustment. I wonder if most of the season, some of his ability to do that was compromised by him still rehabbing, coming back from the shoulder, from the shoulder injury. Yep. But that last series of the year against Milwaukee, like, you know, Woodruff and Burns and those guys are trying to beat him up there with 94 plus and he's on it. So um, he's a really, really special player and young man. And I've been fortunate enough to be like around this guy because, you know, he like Meg and I have both met his parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> this kid played college baseball or not college baseball high school baseball down the road from meg's house in seattle so like meg has seen you know corbin carroll and 
met his parents and like we've been we've just been around this kid a bunch you know when corbin was rehabbing from the shoulder here in arizona he was just at every d-backs game he was just at in the scout section at all the d-backs games and so i'm going in there to see you know jacob Degrom and like i'll you know i'll I'll splurge and buy a ticket behind home plate when those guys roll through it's a d-backs game like of course the tickets are there so i'll blow 100 bucks and go and you know there's corbin carroll and his sling shooting the shit with the scouts and that's know, really cool just being around it because he wants to be he's done for the day his rehab's done he's hanging out and and then jordan lawler too then you see lawler and carol together um so this whole group really is i really think that if you know we're doing our staff picks at some point here the next month and i try to throw a dart at a team that yes this is maybe my team i i think we're going to be in the in the same feeling that too because i really like them and i've got uh quite a bit of love for the two of the guys actually I, and i don't hate the third but the two guys that you had highest as their pitchers brandon fought andre jameson those are my dudes i don't dislike ryan nelson i just like the other two better than him uh how do you see that fifth spot shaking out and why the hell did they re-sign zach davies when they have these all these guys re- you know pretty close to ready to go i mean i know you got to be smart and have real you know, veteran guys, but yeah, I, I kind of hate that they gave him a spot when they could have used two of Fott, Jamison, and Nelson from the outset of the season. No doubt. Um, you do need all that depth. You do need guys who have the option years left to just to have enough depth to get through the season. Maybe you get the the hometown discount with Davies, who's from here, and you know, that's a nice fit. But um, but yeah, I mean we'll start to see tomorrow. So Ryan Nelson is gonna start their spring opener at home. And then the split squad D-backs who are going to Mesa to play Oakland, Jamison will start for them. So both those guys are gonna are gonna pitch tomorrow for Arizona. I'm gonna go to Oakland and see Jamison. Um, That's awesome, and see how that looks. Um, but uh, but yeah, I like both those guys. Nelson's got that premium riding fastball. His velocity's always kind of been up and down. Yeah, and then towards the end of last year, it was up. So he said other stuff. He had like a weird degenerative eye condition that he needed surgery on um, to like strengthen parts of his eyeball and stuff. And oh, wow, I actually did not know. About Nelson's that. head always ha- has had like you know weird stuff that's like not arm related, and then sometimes his velocity hasn't always been great. But you know, long term, both those guys, Jameson's a, t- a tough guy too. I think. I think someone with the Diamondbacks told me like Jameson was homeless for a little while in college, Whoa. like. Yeah, he's he's a tough guy who's been through a lot, both of them. So um, Jameson's little, but he's always been such a, a wonderful athlete and held mid-90s velocity as a starter since college. And so pretty confident that he'll be able to keep doing that. And I just love both those guys as, you know, again, those 50s who are basically ready for the big leagues, I view as you're a number four starter on a playoff team. Yep. You know, mid-rotation guy on on every on basically every team in baseball. Uh, that's, I'm a that's sucker how I'm for those guys because in a given season they can play like a like a two or a fringe three. You know they can play up a level and have that big season for you because they have the talent too. But they are like a yes. firm four. And again, that's my OOTP experience coming through where I've you know played through so many seasons with these guys, and then you can kind of look at a seven-year sample of them and you see the range of outcomes. That's the one thing the game has helped me learn so much more is range of outcomes on guys. Don't get married to they are this right now. If right. they have a certain talent level as a 50, 
they can play up to an all-star level and they can play down to somebody who gets sent out for, you know, a month in a given season. Right. Yeah. We all, for sure. We've all been baseball fans long enough to know that there's going to be year to year variation with these guys. And that when you look at the career performance at the end, it's going to be close to the middle of, you know, the band in which they've, they've, they've played. Exactly. And you have your, some guys where it's the extreme up and down, you have your, you know, Carlos Gomez type guys. Yes. Um, and then you sometimes you have the ultra consistent, you know, Freddie Galvis types or whatever it is. Yeah, the guy that doesn't veer from anything. He just kind of is who he is every type, every single year type of guy. So yeah, there's there's always so much. That's kind of the beauty of the game as far as I'm concerned. Anybody else in Arizona right now that we should be looking at for this particular season? Gabriel Moreno, obviously he's not he's not rookie eligible, so he wasn't on the top 100, yeah. but he would have been he's another one where he would have been third. We're fourth, like it's plus plus bat to ball, super athletic, uh, plus plus hitting catcher, um, speed, rare speed for that position. Is he gonna, Jason Kendall type guy? Can he DH when he's not catching if they're sure. trying Kelly? Yeah, hell yeah. Like I think Moreno is he's gonna be a star. Um, and then you know, this year, maybe some of those young left-handed hitting outfielders will end up doing something like Dominic Fletcher. I still really believe in Alec Thomas. He's only 22 as we're sitting here. Um, Alec Thomas is kind of a freak. He's a little guy, but what he, some of this, his athletic characteristics for like a five foot nine person is is pretty ridiculous. So you know, what's crazy is like when I heard that they traded. Varshaw, I was like, oh, yes, Alec Thomas, here we go. But then they yeah. got an outfielder back in Guriel Jr. And I do like Guriel Jr., but I do wonder if he doesn't recapture some of last year's power, Thomas could leapfrog him perhaps and, and kind of push him off. No? I bet we see Carroll start in left, Thomas start in center, and McCarthy and Guriel platoon in right. So McCarthy is the one who's at risk. Okay. Yes. I, the fantasy world is, is playing it. Carroll, uh, the top guy that they're going for. But then McCarthy is a very high pick right now. And Thomas has been an afterthought under the notion that there's no room at the end for him. But now I do see that Jason has put Alec Thomas in the starting lineup. And so Thomas is the best defender of that trio for sure. Like kind of easily, right? Yes. And so okay. I think that like he will be in center field for them most days and Corbin will moonlight in center. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, you might see some days against lefties where Corbin is playing center field and Guriel and Kyle Lewis are the in corners. the corners. Okay. That makes sense. And then obviously we have to see if Lewis's health can hold up right. and then he can be up with tune there to help Thomas. But uh, if that's what his role lefties. is, gives him a better shot. Yes. Like if he's absolutely. only playing that much, it gives him a better shot to like stay healthy. I think I I'm definitely rooting for him. So I, I do hope he can stay healthy, even if it means a more limited role. Let's go out to Colorado. Um, Arrow is an annoying team, but they do have a bit big time fantasy relevant prospect. Their starting shortstop Ezekiel Tovar. Great park, obviously, and a pretty guaranteed role because he can handle set short. We've been talking about how if you can handle an up the middle position, that's going to give you a long leash. I have some concerns about his bat for this year, though, that even the park might not be able to fix. So I'm a little bit cooler on him because the fantasy market's pushing Tovar up. What do you see out of his rookie year at age 21? I definitely get where your concerns are. The, his approach is not good. Uh, I could see things being diluted here, if not bottoming out entirely. His glove is going to help his, his bat get into the lineup every day. Like he can yeah, really pick it at short. 
I think that, you know, the opportunity there, the path to playing time there is, is pretty wide. And so um, I think that's a good, as good a reason as any to be on some of these guys. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like he's, he's been on that 50, 55 line for me for a while. So do I think he's like a superstar or anything like that? Probably not, but uh, it's just a really rock solid everyday big league shortstop. You mentioned Nolan Jones earlier. Uh, I think when we were talking about some of those uh, all or nothing types, yeah, he has power. He's coming to the place that could could maximize it, but my man swings and misses like you wouldn't believe it. The the I don't think the park can fix it. What do you think of Nolan Jones? Yeah, it does seem as though at times when I've been high on him that it's because I've been tricked into believing that he had elite on base skill when really he's just artificially passive and in the minors that makes your walk rate look incredible. So there's so many more wild guys too. So you can kind of uh, exploit that right. by just going up there with the bat on your shoulder. So I'm apprehensive about it again. Like the opportunity is nice. There's real power. Um, so it's, you know, it's going to be interesting. He's still in like a maybe area for me but I've definitely moved off of thinking that he's just a plug and play every day, third base or right fielder, which is, is where things have been for me at points during the last couple of years. I think that totally makes sense with Nolan Jones. Uh, and even the, even with the move to Colorado, the fantasy market has not really overly inflated him. Although if he hits like five homers in spring, I could see him shooting up and people maybe making a little bit of a yeah. there. So be careful with Nolan Jones. What about Michael Tolia? Um, does, is there a spot for him this year? I know they still have Crone, of course, and they've got McMahon and, and Nolan Jones, who we just mentioned, but he's infield outfield. Is there a spot for Tolia to come up and play consistently? Uh, I have like a bench bat grade on Tolia. Okay. I like him as like that Vogelbach, dangerous from both sides of the plate, you know, mm-hmm. coming off the bench type of first baseman. But um, he's towards the bottom of like the Rockies list. So. I don't he know. He came a ton in that 128 play, 120 plate appearance sample, excuse me, yes. 38% with a 15% swinging strike rate. So, yeah, it's a small sample, but one of the first things to solidify is your strikeout rate. So, Toglia striking out that much is concerning. Yes. Yeah. I, he was, there was a point where I was all in on him uh, when he was at UCLA. And then, really, when he was in the fall league and I got to watch how to get him out over the course of six weeks. I felt pretty confident that big league pitchers were going to be able to, to do that consistently. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, to say I'm lukewarm on, on Toglia is probably a little much. I think that's completely fair. And again, the park can't fix everything. It's a great place to hit, but you still have to have the skills to do it. And you have to put the ball in play. The park can't put the ball in play for you. Anybody else that you're looking at, if you want to mention a pitcher, you can, but I know that that's (laughs) going to be dicey. Any other hitters that you think could make an impact for Colorado this year? Maybe not this year. There are a bunch of Dynasty League guys. uh, Warming Bernabelle is probably the closest. He only looked okay in the fall. I've always, you know kind of been in on this guy. He was on the complex just two years ago with a, a group of hitters that was was really, really interesting. Um, Dion Jorge, Cuban shortstop, was in the DSL. Uh, that's a Dynasty League guy. And then that group that was that was at Fresno mostly last year. So like Adele Amador and yes. Yan, Yankiel Fernandez, 
uh, Benny Montgomery to an extent, although there will probably have to be a swing change there. Uh, Drew Romo, probably not a fantasy guy. Defense first. Has the, has the defense to, to yeah. be a major league catcher. And because of that park, maybe. But yeah, it, he doesn't really have much of a hit. He would have to be propped up by the park for half of his games. Even Zach Veen, I know that the stolen base totals there have been big. He's another one where if you've got him already in Dynasty, I'd probably be looking to move him. Um, the Parlay those steals from last year into a uh, into a, a trade because yeah, he went to AFL yes. too, which always prompt you know gets pump, people pumped up. So I think you could still sell high on Veen pretty easily. I you know I I get it. I am seduced by players like this all the time and. Mm -hmm. With good reason, because, you know, Fernando Tatis isn't Fernando Tatis if he doesn't have his body and athleticism and, and stuff like that. And, you know, Zach Fien has a lot of that stuff, but uh, he still just gets worked in on his hands by velocity. He's just so long. He reminds me a little bit of Hayward. He reminds me of Dominic Brown. Oh, um, yeah. That's, where there's. I'm thinking back to more. some of his AFL at bats now that you say that. And I'm like, that really tracks. So when I, you know, I use the Synergy Sports application that, you know, uh, I have access to to look at his balls in play and I can get like the pitch type for those balls in play. The little bit of time he had at double A last year, he has no pull side balls in play to the outfield oh against goodness. against fastballs. None. That's brutal. And he, he was terrible. 10 496 OPS and 141 plate appearances for Zach Veen after rocking uh, high A, but then getting to double A and just getting torn apart. And he did all right in the fall league, but as we mentioned earlier, the pitching isn't huge there and there wasn't much pop. It was really just getting on base and stealing a ton of bases there. And so, you know, Garrett Hampson stole a ton of bases too. And you right. do not need to remind our listeners about that because Justin and I fell for that idiot for like 12 years. I know he hasn't been in the pros that long, but that we, we kept pumping up Garrett Hampson. So all these guys, say, the say Rockies no have their guys go the Rockies, like, you know, look up Wesley Rogers. And there are a lot of instances, uh, man, who's the guy who went to, uh, Bakersfield who they drafted. His name was so cool, but yeah, like, the Rockies have a bunch of guys who put up monster stolen base numbers in the minors. It seems to be a thing that they just tell their guys to go. And so, yeah, like don't be tricked by that. It's pretty, you know, clear organizational trend that these guys are running a ton in the minors. Consider trading your, uh, your Zach Veen shares now Yes, uh, while you can. What do you say we do this? Uh, would you want to do a, a part two? Cause we've just went two hours on the NL. Would you want to reconvene for another day to do sure. the American League? Yeah, let's do the AL another day. I think it's worth going through. I think we've done a really good job. This is amazing. I think the listeners are going to absolutely love this. So um, I'll hit you up next week. We'll set a time. But you go enjoy your weekend. Go hang Thanks, out with buddy. Meg. And thank you so much, man. This is seriously so brilliant. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. See ya. Talk to you later, Eric. Bye.